everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. This is Can't Hurry Lover, part two. My, you know, three months delayed comprehensive review of Taylor Swift's album, Lover. That's, you know, a little bit more like a be there in three months sitch, but hey, at least it's on brand. I did the first uh, nine episodes, the, the first episode, the front nine, if you will. This is the back nine. And by nine, I mean, I won't really go over the singles. And I think it's, you know, only fair to disclose that I have some serious, obvious favorites among this set. And uh, if you're not a stan of Death by a Thousand Cuts and False God, I suggest you find some other programming. Um, but uh, I'm recording this the night like before it comes out. I this is, you know, very, my very recent opinion. And I like to, you know, I actually like that I gave the album a few months to kind of marinate. I'm still listening to it so much and I still love it so much. And um, I actually am glad to have revisited some of the other songs, too, that I think I might have skipped had I done this too early. So, yeah, I hope you enjoy. I Like I said the first time, I don't I don't think I'm right. I'm not an authority. No one knows what interpretation is in, you know, a full accurate depiction of what's actually gone on. And Really, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to tell you what I hear, what I see, what I extract, what meaning I extract from these songs individually and what ties I see among them and from past albums and whatnot. Uh, but also, you know, I think sometimes it'd be more fun to listen to somebody with like a hard and fast perspective, but you'll like probably listen to me change my mind in real time. I am I'm ever evolving with the way I think about things. And like you guys will always message me after these episodes being like, did you think about this? And I'm like, oh, crap. No, I didn't. So when I go through songs, I'm always like, yeah, this is definitely it. But like also probably not. And maybe it could be this other thing. But like, who cares? And I just am caveating everything like so heavily. It's death by a thousand butts. And I am going to try to just not be so like, I don't know, it's funny. You don't agree with me, but like whatever, because I just get scared. and I don't want to piss people off. <laughs> but um, You know, I just want to have fun. Keep it breezy. And I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy you came back. Thank you for listening to the first uh, episode. I know it was a long one. At first, I thought that the the A side, the front nine, were really going to be where the heart is. But now I'd argue that's not where mine lives. And getting back into these second half songs that like I don't always get to when I'm not doing a full run through. Listen, I'm one of the, I'm a person that likes to listen to things in order. Um, <laughs> I can't I can't shuffle and play fast and loose with what I like to call soon you'll get better roulette, where my emotional state goes from fragile to virtually uh, irrevocably shattered within seconds of hearing those first few chords and i have to be careful what i need to do is make separate playlists without it but then i feel rude to the song like it's important i just can't personally handle it you know it's a tough thing i still have not decided if we're gonna go through it we're doing this all in real time we're gonna see how we feel and uh thanks for joining me as we all uh fall further in lover if you will that was, abs- was such a tough pun that was like e-news where it's like I don't know. I just feel like the way mainstream media talks about Taylor Swift is really infuriating and they act like they're Swifties, but they're just like the most basic. I mean, it's like, a, a, will Taylor Swift be able to shake off that her London boy won't see her win her cat category at the AMAs? Tune into E! News at 8, 7 Central's We Swifties step into the daylight and fill in this blank space. I'm just like, shut up. I should be nicer. E! News has, has cleaned up their act. They've, they've got better social media happening right now. I think I just get frustrated when like large entities talk like really niche fandoms because it's there's the the person doing the social media isn't part of every fandom. They're just going and like raking through what how people talk that are into a certain person or thing and then like try to pull it off. And sometimes it lands and sometimes it doesn't. It's whatever. They had a good caption the other day that was like about her owning her songs, which I did appreciate. Uh, But anyways, okay, we're going to hop right in and we're going to first start with a little DBATC, a.k.a. Mm, tied 
among three songs for my favorite song on this album. I love this song. I'm going to try to not cruel summer it. And by that, I mean, talk about it for 40 minutes. Um, but there's so much here. It's so brilliant. It's so good. This bridge, every, everything. And here's the thing, guys, real quick at the top of the episode, so we can get into it. You know, there was a line in a song once that uh, went a little something like, and darling, you have turned my bed into a sacred oasis. And while I think Taylor Swift meant this meh, sexually, I mean this purely functionally because the kind folks at Helix Sleep, following having used one of their beds for uh, several months now, I I truly am such a fan. I've never had a nice mattress. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but like I'm one of those people that will buy the cheapest thing they find and or just like use my sister's old mattress or like the one from my childhood home my parents didn't want anymore. And like, it's just not something I prioritize. But then simultaneously, I'm like, God, why does my back always hurt? What a head scratcher. Anyways, I am obsessed with this mattress. Tugboat loves it. Greg loves it. It's kind of always been hard for us to find something we both like. But helixsleep.com has a like a two minute quiz that asks you all the questions about like, are you a side sleeper? Are you a hot sleeper? Um, Do you like firm? Do you like plush? It, It asks you all the nuances that like a person especially like me that tosses and turns and like cannot sleep for the life of them it's i don't know been a great way to like achieve balance and to have somebody kind of make the decision for us based on the criteria they've identified as being the most important in buying a mattress and it sounds so crazy to not like sit on one before um and to buy one online but like when i tell you we actually both really love it and it works for us and we both have like weird backs and like issues uh, I'm being completely honest. I really think it's a great product. And I really think this model of asking questions that like I was never asked at a mattress store, like if I was a hot sleeper, my God, that's so important. I am a hot sleeper. I hate being hot. And our mattress is like remarkably cool despite being soft and cushy. And I just love it so much. But go take the quiz. See what happens. You might learn something. Go to helixsleep.com slash be there in five. H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash be there in five. And Helix is offering all of our listeners up to $125 off all mattress orders. So again, go to helixsleep.com slash be there in five for up to $125 off all mattress orders and just take the two minute quiz and see what it says. Even though, you know, one too many reviews might about this podcast may suggest that my voice puts some people to sleep. At the very least, if you're listening, I hope you actually get something of value that legitimately puts you to sleep. So consider Helix. They're wonderful. And they've been so supportive of this podcast. So anyway, on to the episode. And here's the thing, guys. If 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 I didn't know that this was about a movie my it, my mind would be so blown I'd do a full two hour dive on it I think there's just like a small part of me that holds back a little because I wish it were um you know weren't so deliberately made to not be about her when I see so many ties to other songs now here's the thing when if you're a songwriter if you're an artist of any kind there's a lot of through lines in your work and you use a lot of the same words and image imagery and metaphor and I don't think we can all take it all so literally all the time but I do think that um, there are elements of this that she incorporated her own experience into. And I feel very confused by the timeline because I thought she said she finished her album in like February or March. And then she went on Ellen in May and was like, yeah, it's done unless I like think of something else. And in that interview, when she said it's done, unless I like add something else, she also mentioned someone great as a an Easter egg, which is May 15th. The movie came out in April. And theoretically, her album was finished before April. And when she like made the comment like she could add more, it was already after she had dropped the Easter egg. So I guess it was already written. So I feel a little bit confused. I don't think I mean, I'm sure she's telling the truth, but it's like this song was just like come to her really fast or something. Um, I to like give us a brief recap of the movie to just help tie these two together. I have diff- I have many different thoughts about this that I'll try to organize. 
Okay, Someone Great is about three women that are best friends. Um, Jenny, the character played by Gina Rodriguez, uh, has a very painful breakup with her boyfriend of nine years. Um, it just kind of, they become like distant. It wasn't anything like any one thing that's that serious. It was just kind of a slow progression over time. I watched the movie when it came out. It's really cute. I loved the beginning, but I can't say I remember a lot because I got super derailed after uh, Truth Hurts started playing because I think, you know, I, I'm not like cool. I wouldn't, I don't hear about a lot of music before it hits like the mainstream, but I for heard like the first two lines of Truth Hurts by Lizzo and Someone Great, which I'd argue is kind of what helped to catapult it. Um, and, and I'm sure any Lizzo diehards are like, oh my God, shut up. That is not why she got big. But like, that was like a big catalyst for me in terms of like my awareness level. And I like dropped everything, stopped watching the movie and then just like dove into Lizzo on Spotify. So I actually don't remember a ton about the movie. But what Taylor Swift said about it is that it's a movie about how she has to end this relationship that she didn't want to end because she's still in love with the person, but they just grow apart and he's not a jerk. It's just sad because it's just realistic. Time passed and now we're different people and that is the most devastating thing. She then goes on to say, uh, I think that when people make art, other people make art, and especially women who make art, I find it highly inspiring. She says she said this to Elvis Duran. These quotes might be out of order. I watched this movie on Netflix called Someone Great. I cried while watching the movie. For about a week, I start waking up from dreams that I'm living out that scenario. For that's, hap that's, that's happening to me. I have these lyrics in my head based on the dynamics of these characters, and I went into the studio with Jack Antonoff. And then in, uh, in quite an incredible inception of T-Swift inspo, uh, the director, the writer and director of the film, Jennifer, I think her name's Jennifer Caton, uh, maybe Jennifer Caton Robinson, um, said that uh, she said on Instagram, I've been listening to Taylor's music since her first album. As she grew, I grew. I began flowing through life, a musical North Star in her catalog. In the fall of 2014, when I was a certifiable basket case wandering around L.A. in pajamas, heartbroken over the boy I'd left behind in New York, 1989 was there like a best friend with a bottle of tequila and a bear hug. I found the most comforting clean, a song about rebirth after love lost. It inspired me and someone great. And now in the most surreal what the fuck is even happening full circle situation, I find myself with a new song that will help me through heartbreak. Because saying goodbye is death by a thousand cuts. Flashbacks waking me up. I get drunk, but it's not enough because the morning comes and you're not my baby. So what's crazy is Jen Caton listened to 1989 on repeat to get over her breakup that inspired her to write Someone Great. Taylor Swift watched Someone Great and said she was inspired to write her song Death by a Thousand Cuts. And I'm just loving this cycle of inspo. I'm going to play some small clips, mostly in the background. Again, I'm so scared of getting in trouble, but it just brings it to life. Currently, we're listening to the word my 32 times. course the other risk i run with playing this like low and slow in the background is like presented with pretty much any human's voice in like a taylor swift song i'm like shut up i want to hear the song but you know maybe i'll just turn it all the way down um i'll talk i want to talk through the lyrics talk through different motifs talk, i mean all the things but okay first of all those mys um where are they from i'm sorry like i th first of those bye 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 like death by a thousand cuts but no we've got 32 mys and let me tell you my concern, guys. Um, there's a little other song that we hear my several times over, and that song is called Lover. You're my, 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 my lover. In the song Lover, we clock about 24 mys total, chorus and regular, verses included. I find this tie to be interesting because I can't find a meaningful reason why the word my would be said over and over at the beginning of this song. 
obviously, you know, you're the best thing that's ever been mine. There's like, you know, it's her relationship. She's focusing on her memories. My, my, my. I just don't think it's like the most obvious uh, noise to say over and over again. I just thought that was interesting. Going into the lyrics. I mean, I think the first thing anybody would notice about the song is like, it's confusingly upbeat for the tone, right? And um, I almost see it as like the way you uh, are trying to make it seem like you feel versus the way you actually feel. And when nothing, not, there's not one thing that specifically goes wrong and you don't really feel like uh, licensed to, for devastation. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I think we don't feel like we have the right to be absolutely ripped apart by something that is a series of tiny individual events that are almost impossible to pinpoint, but in aggregate add up to something incredibly huge that nobody could understand unless they were inside the relationship. So why it's so poignant to me when she says, I'll be fine, it's just a thousand cuts. It's kind of like how I think we all write off a bit our feelings and try to, uh, you know, put put forth a facade of like, yeah, I'm good, it's whatever. But like every single moment of your day, you are dragging, you are trying to distract yourself, you are simply doing everything in your power not to be completely overtaken by these flashbacks of tiny moments because the point is it is not the breaking up itself that hurts so badly it, it, you can get past that moment and move on you can intellectually process that this thing has happened and that conversation isn't always the worst part it's almost weird where you, the breakup happens you intellectually can process it you know that okay it's done i have to move forward but strangely, in the aftermath of any failed relationship, what do you immediately start to do? You flash back, you go backward and you reminisce. And it's uh, similar to the ancient Chinese method of torture, actual death by a thousand cuts. What this song represents is that so many small, difficult, painful things happened, none of which individually are, are, are fatal but in aggregate lead to a very painful, a very slow death. By definition, it means lingering death. And is that not the most poetic way to frame a difficult breakup? It's like, it's, 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 a, it's a form of mourning that you almost can't attribute to a singular cause. And I don't know how that contributes to healing. And obviously it's not the same as like an actual death, but it's di it's dynamic and it's very complicated on the heart and mind. And it takes so much to sort through, especially in the event of a pretty good long relationship that just like had a lot of small things go wrong over time. And it's almost impossible to identify the one major trigger catalyst, whatever it may be. So therefore, you mull over these tiny moments that were so great and out of context, you're almost like, why did this even happen? So it's this funny thing where I can see death by a thousand cuts, the cuts being all the individual things that went wrong and were um, painful in and of itself that led to the termination of a relationship. Or I can see death by a thousand cuts as the thousands of tiny memories and flashbacks that cut because they're great and cut because you're, they're like, why couldn't we make this work? We had so many great individual times together. We don't have like the foresight or perspective to really take a 10,000 foot view and see what they added up to. So it's kind of this combination of like the bad and the good really stings equally uh, when you're exiting a relationship and i think this song so brilliantly captures kind of the upbeat nature of how you want to feel met with the lyrics of how you actually feel and how you are not well bitch to quote dorinda i will say it's interesting like i remember reading like when i was scouring the internet for like secret session clues 
there was a post that was like uh, Taylor had to leave the room when they played track 10 because it was so emotional for her. it was like death by a thousand cuts. Da-da. And I'm like, well, if it's about a movie, why would she do that? And I'm sure that's not true. We all hear stuff from secret sessions, but I just remember reading that. And then I think, I don't know, I'll forever obsess over this being about a movie because I like it so much. And I just think, I don't know. Here's the thing is, I guess it doesn't matter where you're inspired from, right? Like, I don't know why I'm harping on this. Um, I think inevitably you can't solely write from a character perspective. You're incorporating your own experience to a degree because that's the what's in your 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 lexicon of experience, right? Um, but there's okay. Let's just get into lyrics. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I do think it's very interesting that this song follows Cornelia Street, uh, because there's some similarities and you know, Cornelia Street's always interesting to me because like I talked about, you know, I first thought it was like a breakup song when I first heard it during on the lover at first sight podcast on last week's episode, I was like, okay, now I realize she's not um, singing about, you know, how it came to be. She's not singing about the breakup. Um, It's, it's her, it's her unrest as it relates to having found someone great. And uh, the hypothetical situation of having to revisit the sensory stomping grounds of, you know, that or that are the melody to a particular relationship. One cannot exist without the other. And I think Cornelia Street is so interesting in that way because it's it doesn't really it's not definitive. It's just kind of like her inner monologue anxiety. But leading into Death by a Thousand Cuts, it kind of still feels like the same situation i say that because of like a few similarities i think what stuck out to me as something i'm definitely reading too much into um in death by a thousand cuts when she says if the story's over why am i still writing pages um and obviously in cornelia street she specifically says we were a fresh page on the desk filling in the blanks as we go and the tie from the if the story's over, why am I still writing pages to then paper cut stains on my paper thin plans? I'm like, well, you did marry him with a paper ring and that could go rogue and give you a nice nick on the old ring finger. But also she loves paper. She's a crumpled up piece of paper lying here. Don't read the last page. You know what I mean? Like there's there, there's a lot of uh, paper metaphors that run through Taylor Swift's discography. And um, in this in- instance, I do think it's so brilliant not only to you know, tie in different uh, uses of paper, but also in talking about the fresh page on the desk. Then moving to the next song, it's if the story's over. Why am I still writing pages? Paper cut stains on my paper thin plans. But the song being about cuts, which really has nothing to do with paper cuts, but she's she's uh, alluding paper cuts to death by a thousand cuts because a breakup is an ending of the writing of a love story. And this love story that she once wrote is now cutting her. You know what I mean? It's It's so good. It's so good. If I didn't know better and like if I didn't think her and Joe were still together or something, I would really be reading into this tie to paper rings. But I do think the specific usage um, of the word page in terms of uh, don't read the last page from New Year's Day from we are fresh page on the desk filling in the blanks as we go to um, why am I still the story's over? Why am I still writing pages? It's just like a lot of page related imagery. Uh, that is maybe connected or maybe not, but I do think it's worth noting that this is kind of her chosen metaphor for the duration of a relationship. Okay, and let's just go. I have so much more to say, but let's just go. Chandelier still put 
Okay, it's such a good line. I look through the windows of this love even though we boarded them up. Chandelier's still flickering here. Because I can't pretend it's okay when it's not. I mean, okay. So, okay. And call it what you want. Okay, sorry. <laughs> windows. Windows are everywhere. Okay. And call it what you want. Um, you know, when her baby was fly like a jet stream high above the whole scene. Um, speaking of, she looked great in her thigh highs at the AMAs. I thought a very obvious caption and EU news should use as being thigh high above the whole scene. No one did. It's fine. You may recall in that song, it was, uh, all my flowers grew back as thorns. Windows boarded up after the storm. He built a fire just to keep me warm. Okay. Call it what you want is good. And it's so under talked about. And I, it's just a good song. It's like, it's, it's very feel good and it's really sweet. And it was the first time she was ever like, I'm okay, guys. We were like, oh, awesome. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> I really shouldn't wait till it's so late to record these. Um, but I just, you know, you think about your relationship and you sharing a home together, being your sanctuary, you know, metaphorically or otherwise. And when a person moves out of that home and separates from it, and it's like, theoretically, this metaphorical house should be, you know, abandoned by both parties. But what happens when somebody's still slightly in there? What happens when the electricity is still on and it hasn't completely been shut off and it's flickering and you know, to board up a house is to protect it from the outside elements and to almost it's a it's a cosmetic and tangible way to shut something off. But it doesn't do anything to the inside or affect the process of what happens on the inside. And uh, I just think this is it's just a really beautiful metaphor. And I think for a lot of us that can't afford a chandelier here, it would be like, you know, I look through the windows of this love, even though we boarded them up. Ikea hectare lamp still flickering here. Maybe a yipper leg. My my rental does have one chandelier. It's actually quite lovely. Um, I hope to own my own someday. Here's hoping that this podcast gives me that F.U. light fixture money. But, I mean, you just got to imagine Taylor Swift's chandelier game must be pretty strong. And uh, I just picture, like, the grandest of all chandeliers still flickering here. And um, I think that the movie Someone Great was very much about pretending it's okay when it's not. And it reminded me so much of the thing that I you both feed off of and resent when you go through a breakup. And that is your friends that are trying to get you to like go out and be fun and to take your mind off of it. Because I think there's like a loss of control when people you love are sad and you just like want to physically do something and watch them yourself almost selfishly in a good mood. <laughs> so you feel like you did something, even though the person kind of needs to wallow. And I just remember having that feeling so many times where it's just like, Oh my God, you girl, you look so hot. Let's go out. Let's meet dudes. Like, do not buy a single one of your own drinks tonight. Like, you're going to look so hot and he's going to see you and he's going to like not even know what he's missing. And I'm like, yeah, totally. You know, and then you play Power Hour and then you're sobbing before you leave the house. You still get convinced that you like you should go out. And then at the bar, you are like Rudolph the red nose cry face. And it's very obvious that you've been a little bit emotional. And then you get even drunker and then you decide like, I'm going to confront him. And then that usually ends really well. Can you imagine going up to somebody like drunk at a bar and be like, I look at the windows of this love. And even though you boarded them up, the, the chandelier is still flickering here. I, did, I can't pretend that it's OK when it's not. It sounds insane. When Taylor Swift says that she's Maya Angelou, it's uh, unbelievable how well she is able to articulate these feelings as metaphor. We deal a lot with windows with Taylor Swift's discography. You know, you think about, well, even in this album, Cruel Summer, Killing Me Slow, Out the Window. Brandon Yuri was looking out the window. We thought that was an Easter egg at one point in the me video. Small aside. 
Um, in Cornelia Street, which I'm drawing a lot of comparisons to, we have windows swung right open, autumn air, jacket round, my shoulders is yours, before they bless the reins on Cornelia Street, of course, and false god, staring out the window like I'm not your favorite town. I'm New York City. We've got, uh, there's, she, when we posted a photo of herself looking out a window in Paris, I, I really thought windows were happening for a while. Maybe she's Dorothy Jane Torkelson talking to a man on the moon. Maybe she loves Windows 95. I know I do. I only called this episode, you know, the front and the back nine because I played a shit ton of Fuji golf in my day, along with Chips Challenge and Ski Free. But also windows are a beautiful metaphor used by all people all the time. So probably doesn't mean anything, but still interesting nonetheless, specifically the one about being boarded up. Now, I think a very underrated line that's coming up shortly is uh, I dress to kill my time. I take the long way home. So a lot of people think it's, or thought at first, it was, I just kill my time or something. But I dress to kill my time is an amazing uh, mix of metaphors. Being dressed to kill and to kill your time. Oh my gosh. I just got excited. I like, uh, because that's what I was saying earlier. It's like, you look hot. Like, let's look hot and go out. Like, you almost like, when you aren't feeling good on the inside, you think it helps. Well, it kind of does to... Uh, make yourself look better on the outside. And, you know, some of our best outfits come the the deep cuts, you know, like Sheryl Crow said, the first cut is the chicest. And I think that when you're kind of trying to get over something, it just like helps you to like, get up, get dressed, go out, whatever. And um, but also you're just like killing your time. And like, I, I love that mix of metaphors because it's followed by I took I take the long way home. I mean, think about how often you've done that. Like you are almost just looking for any reason to almost have your mind idle to a place where it's occupied by what it's going on. Like, I think that's why a lot of people love driving. Like you're actually doing something, even though you can zone out sometimes something's very maddening about having too much idle time when you're going through a breakup. And, um, this is just like, I just love this series of lyrics because she then goes on to say very famously now, I think a lot of people like love this line or love to like not really understand it or love to laugh at it, but it's quite beautiful. And she says, I just, I dress to kill my time. I take the long way home. I ask the traffic lights if it'll be all right. They say, I don't know. Not only do I love the visual of the, the monosyllabic hits of I don't know, red, yellow, green. This, this just could take on su such a life. I mean, in so many ways, when I mentioned in the um can't, the first lover at first sight uh, podcast. To me, you know, I I just I don't I don't drive actually. I I spend all of my time in Ubers and Lyfts and cabs, and uh, you know, at night when you're looking out the window and having your pensive thoughts or coming home from something and thinking a lot or on a long car ride, a car ride to or from the airport, whatever, like you are only interacting with your um, surroundings that are largely in a constant state of change, but you break inertia at a stoplight and it forces you to like look and stare and you are literally looking at a traffic light for a sign of when you can move forward. And um, I think that it's a combination of the literal meaning in terms of like, uh, you know, when you drive around in like a circle or take the long way home, you're ultimately going to end up in the same place and you kind of want a sign from anything or anywhere and the only you're so in your own head the only thing you're interacting with at times are these like inanimate objects and I think a stoplight being a metaphor for 
uh, an outside signal dictating if you move forward, if you slow down, or if you stand completely still is interesting in relation to a situation you're desperately trying to move on from, but find yourself stopped in your tracks. But I also think that people in times of despair desperately look for signs anywhere. And I think especially at night, the things that are the most apparent, that glow, that speak to you, that have messaging behind them in a color-coded format are traffic lights. And um, beyond that, I think what's interesting about Cornelia Street and Death by a Thousand Cuts, you know, DBATC following Cornelia Street, is that in Cornelia Street, the uh, lights pointed in an arrowhead leading them home. And in Death by a Thousand Cuts, they don't know what to tell her. You know, if we're going to get real into this, uh, you know, you think about these metaphors as it relates to a home, the idea of a home and a relationship being a metaphor for a home and um, taking the long way home and how in Cornelia Street, when she was in the midst of the turmoil of trying to sustain a love she feared would escape her, the upon the you know nexus of that relationship, the traffic lights or the street lights pointed in an arrowhead leading them home. And um, in this one where her idea of home is a singular person living in a boarded up house with a chandelier flickering and like kind of wondering what happened and like where the other occupant is and uh, feeling like, you know, even though all of the proper uh, physical means to make this home appear boarded up and abandoned were done, she's still largely there. There's this feeling of uncertainty of, of not really having a clear idea of what home is because you know, I think I just made this up. Home is where the heart is. And um, I think that, you know, we put emphasis on our surroundings, but really our internal uh, circumstances dictate how at home we feel at times, even in our own house. And it's kind of like how I, t I talk about it sometimes her songs like Lover, uh, you know, make you feel homesick when you're at home. It's like there's a sentimentality that draws us uh, from the physicality of home and completely transforms it into home as it relates to love and togetherness and closeness and where you belong with other people. And I just think it's interesting. And I almost you could argue that um, in some way lights represent her intuition and uh, or the way she um, sees signs, depending on the place she's in. And um, when at the start of whatever relationship, the streetlights pointed in an arrowhead leading her home and home wasn't really Cornelia Street. It was the love that happened at Cornelia Street represented by the physical address. Right. And this is like your home, like the, the foundation feels pulled out from under you and you don't really know what your new normal or your new concept of home is. So you take the long way home and you're trying not to get there. And it's almost like avoiding your own thoughts and avoiding the feelings of your own heart. And it's like a, the driving metaphor to get home to the home that once was just so obviously yours with this person. And then I almost see it now as being like, okay, lights, you told like at one point I was so sure you told me exactly where to go and I knew what home was and I had all these feelings of certainty. And now that that's taken from me, I'm looking for those same signs. I'm grasping at straws. I just need reassurance from anywhere and um, I think that in these painful times when you're mourning the loss of a relationship, the bottom line is it's brutal and there's no direct answer and there's no direct way to get over it. Nobody gets over it in the same way. There's no formula. There's nobody that can tell you it's going to be fine. There's nobody that can tell you, you know, when and how things will feel better. 
And when you're on a road in life, just trying to continuously move forward, and these strange little lights have control over your direction and over your ability to move or slow down or stop, I almost think it's a beautiful metaphor of looking for an external sign and otherwise avenue of freedom uh, of things that have control over you even though you're fully in control. And so you're almost looking for somebody else to tell you what to do. Um, am I, do I sound like actually crazy? Probably. Um, anyways. And then in Miss Americana, she gets lost in the lights. American glory fades before her. She, remember in State of Grace, she was walking fast through the traffic lights, busy streets and busy lives. I think that um, State of Grace is very much like fast relationship. Like, this is awesome. And I feel like, um, like, Miss Americana and the Heartbreak Prince, it's like, I'm lost in the lights. Sorry, I can't sing, but it's kind of like that to me is kind of like a metaphor of being like stuck in your own like confusion. It's like uh, everything. It's like almost blinding how um, obvious something is, but somehow like you didn't see it. And I feel like that's a lot of what Miss Americana is about. You know what I mean? How like we all, nobody like took action until like it was too late. And then you're like, whoa, 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 this is so glaring. How did I miss this before? So in Cornelia Street, they're a fresh page on the desk, filling in the blanks as they go. The streetlights pointed in an arrowhead, taking them home. And Death by a Thousand Cuts, the story's over, but she's still writing pages. And she gets paper cut stains from her paper, then plants. Who knows if the two are connected? I like to think so, even though this song is allegedly has nothing to do with her. Okay, moving through. I need to go faster. Yikes, yikes, yikes. Um... Uh, and what once was ours is no one's now. Oh, this love is ours. Sad. I see you everywhere. The only thing we share is this small town. Said it was a great love one for the ages. But if the story's over, while I'm, why am I still writing pages? Saying goodbye is death by a thousand cuts. Flashbacks waking me up. I get drunk, but it's not enough because the morning comes and you're not my baby. You know, getting drunk is satisfying uh, for the night, but waking up in the morning and having circumstances still be unchanged is the pits. Um, it's kind of the inverse of having like a really bad dream where something bad happens and you wake up and you're like, um, overcome your, your cup runneth over with relief that your reality is not your dreams. It's kind of like the inverse of like waking up and realizing like the last night's hazy and everything around you has changed and like you're alone and where like, it's, it's just, yeah, I feel that. This song is structured unusually. It starts with the chorus after the 32 Mice, then goes into verse one, then goes back into the chorus. And then I'd argue it goes into verse two, but she called it the bridge, but I don't know. Okay, we're going to listen to this because it feels good. It feels right. It's important. It's everything. It's um, the, I mean, honestly, like, I think I listen to just this bridge four to six times a day. <laughs> I just like fast forward through it when I have like, a, you know, a, a few minutes to myself. It took me a while to get the hang of it. And, you know, maybe if I'm being honest here, the reason I waited three months to post this was because that's how long it took me to get the hang of the DBATC bridge. But, you know, I've previously said she's an architect of the English language. But in this case, I can't call her an architect because they just merely design. For for here, she is the engineer. An engineer is responsible to execute the design, yes, but to construct something so perfectly, so structurally sound that it is able to uh, seamlessly, safely take you from one place to another. And the way she constructed this bridge is so stunning. It's so um, uh, beautifully, appropriately chaotic 
in terms of I see this bridge verse, whatever you want to call it, as a bit of a, a, a strobe light in terms of the flashbacks. And I think by design, it's like it's, it's seldom are you, you know, ruminating over a singular isolated incidents. When you're in your more chaotic moments, you're like, put this, put that, put that, put that, and that. What about this? And that, and that. And like, you kind of like all the things like flash in your head that you like had together, the memories that bring you back. And like, it's almost represents like, I just love how like this song is like upbeat and it's like, yeah, I'll, you know, it's fine. I'll be fine. It's just a thousand cuts. It's like, these are all the things I'm doing to occupy my time. Like, you're kind of in that like slow, like kind of wallowy, like trying to reconcile, rationalize, get through things. The first part of the song isn't um, angry. It's kind of a person doing the best they can. And then you get to this part and it's kind of that chaotic moment of like, oh, my God, here are all the things I gave to you. I did to you. We shared like, did it all mean nothing? And they just like like the kernels are always there, but you add the heat of the anger and the passion and now all of a sudden they're popping, right? Like, I I don't know. Let's just listen to it. Hold on. I also think this is so like, uh, uh, what's it called? Dancing with our hands tied vibes. Like that song is deeply sad to me, uh, yet it's like weirdly upbeat. Okay, get excited, guys. I'm going to try not to sing. Just a cash 1k cut. So good, guys. It feels good every time. It's, oh my God. I don't care if this relationship wasn't one for the ages. This bridge is one for the ages. It's beyond. I just don't even know what to do. Um, I also forgot. I read on Genius Lyrics, um, <laughs> where I get all my news. Um, <laughs> some of the annotations in there are tough stuff. Uh, but it, she said, like in some interview, she said that she was quoted saying relationships are like traffic lights. And she has a theory that she can only exist in a relationship if it's a green light. You know, it's funny because some of these, um, you know, like city screams your name type of stuff, like, you know, Lord's green light. Also, Antonov produced. She's like waiting for it, that green light. I want it. Sometimes I wake up in a different bedroom. I whisper things. The city sings them back to you. Um, also, what's the um, took off faster than a green light? Go. What song is that? Oh, holy ground yeah, yeah yeah interesting yeah she does talk about traffic lights a lot i guess funny to quickly recap and i swear we'll move on my heart my hips my body my love trying to find a part of me you didn't touch gave up on me like i was a bad drug now i'm searching for signs in a haunted club our songs our films united we stand our country guess it was a lawless land Quiet my fears at the touch of your hands. Paper cut stains for my paper thin plans. My time, my wine, my spirit, my trust. Trying to find a part of me you didn't take up. Gave you so much, but it wasn't enough. But I'll be all right. Just a thousand cuts. If I ever find myself on The Bachelor, I know what my limo exit speech will be. All anybody ever says is like, 
I have so much love to give. And I'm like, really, Lindsay F. DVU? Pretty sure we all do. You know, it's like, uh, that's, that's the, that's the, therein lies the issue. Uh, you don't, unrequited love is actually quite literally not love inherently by the term because love is an exchange. And I actually think that when you are solely focused on giving it out, um, it kind of negates the entire purpose of being a, a mutual relationship of, of give and take in that, therefore, the amount of love you have to give, I think, is directly relative to the amount of love somebody else is willing to take and therefore give back to you. Because I'd actually argue that if you're in a relationship and you're giving way more love than you're getting, it's actually a pretty shitty relationship. So, you know, that argument never really works for me. But the line um, gave you so much, but it wasn't enough reminded me of that, what people say on The Bachelor. However, Taylor says it more astutely. Um, it's like you're sitting there lamenting all the things you gave them and shared. And you're like, do you have a surplus of things that I associate with my identity that I can't shake? And yet somehow you still needed more. That's like such a frustrating situation to be in. And I just think that like, I love the um, juxtaposition between like things that are more metaphorical and deep and things that are really surface level. Cause I think that that represents that strobe light of flashbacks about all the things you're thinking about. It's like, like, you know, the depth, the silly memories, the laughing, the innocuous, the profound, the it's like all over the place. And like my heart is your heart, your hips and your body physical, your love deep gave up on me like I was a bad drug. I mean, there's like, a, you know, a lot of drug reference, not a lot, but like, uh, don't blame me. My drug is my baby I'll be using for the rest of my life, which came after clean, which, you know, are we not? But habitual creatures that just hop from one hit to the next, trying to find the uh, next lover's high. I think um, that's such an interesting way to phrase it, because to give up on someone is one thing, but to give up on them like they were a bad drug kind of insinuates that they are the problem, if that makes sense. Like you were bad for them. You were toxic for them. And even though like a drug is addicted, addictive and intoxicating and you withdraw from it and whatever, it's like um, it's almost represents the way you would look at somebody that you absolutely cannot associate or be with anymore. It's less about your dynamic with it and about you just flipping a switch and being like, no, this is bad, like bad for me. Um, now I'm searching for signs in a haunted club. I don't fully understand unless it's I don't I actually don't fully understand that unless their house with the chandelier flickering is a haunted club. Um, then like, I love our songs, our films, you know, you watch the same movies, you have your songs, your song is a slam screen door, you know, sneaking out late, tapping on your window that you're staring at. Like, I'm not your favorite town. I guess I went through a lot of this. Oh my God. I need to, I've been talking about this song for 35 minutes. Um, at least it's not 40. I think that's what I went with cool summer. Um, but I really like, uh, our songs, our films united. We stand our country. Guess it was a lawless land. Um, does anybody else salute when they hear United We Stand? I can't help myself. Our country throws me off because I'm like, is it your literal country? Like, like, this is why I'm like, at first when I heard this song, I was like, oh, gosh, it's not about somebody in London or whatever. Quiet my fears, the touch of your hand. Use this touch of your hand a lot. Like, uh, nice to have a friend. Something gave you the nerve to touch my hand. You should think about the consequence of uh, touching my hand in a darkened room. You know, all the things. Very subtle movement, but sensual nonetheless. 
then I'd argue those the, the same hand that was touched uh, now has paper cut stains from her paper thin plans. Perhaps they were plans. Uh, you know, she is the architect. She's drawing up the plans. Like I said earlier, she is better than that. She's an engineer of this flawless bridge. But also I talked about earlier all of the parallels I see with paper and paper cut stains from her paper thin plans. Even in just standalone, it's brilliant if her uh, if for her to be cut in a song about being cut by her plans that were thin and to use the metaphor of paper thin. It's just, it's so good. Um, I think I mentioned this in Lover at First Sight, but for some reason, every time I hear that line, I can't, I go straight to Shadaisy. There's a song called Passenger Seat. And there is, the, the, I don't know if it's the chorus or pre-chorus or something, but it's like, when I look to my left, see his sun-tanned hands, his muddy river hair and his thousand anchor plans. I'm all shook up like a quarter in a can. And like, but there's something about the way that the, uh, uh, she's like, Paper cut stains from my paper thin plans. I, I hear like his muddy river hair and his thousand acre plants. Like there's some like weird cadence that remind whatever. Nobody cares. I need to move on. Um, then, you know, time, wine, spirit, trust. I love how time and spirit and trust are like broad, abstract and profound. And it's like wine you throw in there. But like I'd argue all important. I would imagine she has absolutely fantastic vintages. Anyways, guys, sorry, you can hear my voice going. It is getting late, but I just start to talk lower when the dog and my husband go to bed. <laughs> and uh, this is why I'm sure people comment that I make them fall asleep. Uh, but, you know, I just I love this song so much. I'll never get over this bridge. I, too, feel like I've given Taylor Swift's career my time, my wine, my spirit, my trust. And sometimes I do try to find a part of me she didn't take up. But I'm not mad about it yet. You know what I mean? Um, so for, so far, so good. I'll keep you posted. But like, I, I just, I don't know. I really identify with somebody that's like, uh, all in, you know, like I'm easily consumed. I am easily swept. I, I want, I, I, what's the opposite of having like your guard up. That's another thing. Bachelor girls say like, I, I let my guard down. I'm so mad at myself. I have a lot of love to give. I'm like, what? Like, what guard? Like, it's just, it's these cliches that are like emotional metaphors that I don't think people know what they mean. And like, I hate when people are like, I'm so unique and guarded because I've been through stuff. It's like, that doesn't make you cool to have a, your walls up. Like, I get that people have their own life and experience and reason to be, uh, you know, perhaps uh, emotionally withheld at, at the onset. I just truly cannot relate to having a guard up like any guard I have I have to like manufacture like I'm literally it's like putting up some Lincoln logs being like oh my god yeah I'm so emotionally reserved you're never gonna get to me meanwhile I'm like I love you I'll just barrel through those logs in no time I, I just need like a metaphor to convey my uh alarming level of emotional availability <laughs> like not even in a good way I just like it doesn't make me uncomfortable whatsoever to like kind of go there. And I just think it's interesting how many people you meet that are just like really struggle be with being vulnerable. And like, I get that to a degree it depends on what you've like been through and who you can trust and whatever. Um, but I also, I just don't think there's anything embarrassing about like being a person that emotes that cares. Like I've said last week, apathy is the great threat to our, to mankind, not caring. Um, Yet we just try to play it cool. We try to be unaffected so often. And kind of like this song, she's like, she even ends with I'll be all right. It's just a thousand cuts. It's like, I mean, it's fine. It's fine that it's bad. It's fine that it's not all right right now. Give yourself a minute. And then she ends with I asked the traffic lights if it'll be all right. They say, I don't know, which I love because it represents a cycle, right? Like 
she kind of evolves from reminiscing and being sad to like it you know picking up and being a little bit angrier and then ranting through this bridge and then only to ultimately find herself at the same place because that's how the process works you feel good and then bad empowered and then jilted and then important and then discarded and it's just like never one way it's a thousand cuts it's complicated and it's just this song captures it beautifully and i guess i should move on it's hard to move on from death by a thousand cuts to london boy because it's not that I don't like London Boy. It's just that I'm not, I can't really be like, um, well, when she says like stories from uni, like, you know, I can't like really analyze it any deeper. I think it's meant to be a silly, fun, upbeat song. When I first heard it in Lover at First Sight podcast, I was like, it almost read to me as a parody, like a blank spacey song, because I, it kind of seemed like, um, I don't know, like, I know you think I'm dating a dude from the UK. Here's all the stuff we do. We go out with friends and stuff at the pub and then here's a neighborhood or two. I can read a map. Yeah. Geography slaps. Yeah. Let's go somewhere in the tube. You know, whatever. It's a cute song. I actually quite like it. The I still stand that uh, the funniest thing I heard somebody say about the song is that it had major study abroad energy because it's about like the token um, like London places that like you know, it's that like people that know London would say it's kind of being like, yeah, I went to Times Square to Coney Island to a Mets game. You know what I mean? It's like kind of pandering to like a touristy or uh, side of London. But also, I think it's largely done on purpose. She's very smart. She knows she could write a more in-depth song about how much she loves London. But I think by design, the song's supposed to be very fun and, and upbeat. And like, you know, I think there's a part of her that was kind of joking about like her time in London, about like what we assume it's like. But also, I think that largely is probably what she does. And I think maybe she does really love London and she's celebrating it. And I actually don't hate this. I actually listen to the song quite a bit and think it's cute. And I'm very looking forward to hearing it live. I'm actually going to a wedding this weekend and it's my roommate from study abroad in Switzerland. We like lived in an attic in the Swiss, Swiss Alps and it was magical and she means so much to me and we just talked about like our lives and like who we hope we'd marry and like what we wanted to do with our careers and what this abroad experience meant to us. And like, she's just a person I've always had like the best life talks with and she's marrying a British guy. And of course, the second I heard this song, I was like, Oh my God, you have to play London boy at your wedding. But then I like, I actually like LOL thinking about this song playing to a group of like pretty serious Brits that like maybe aren't as in tune with Taylor Swift's non-singles hearing a song <laughs> that's like, I don't know. Oh my God. It's like amazing to think about. I mean, fingers crossed. I hope it happens, but doubtful. I do love like the super poppy sound of her voice in this. Like I'll just play this part. I think it's cute. It's when you watched her sing it on BBC one or whatever, you can see like, it's just a, she's actively singing and uh, enunciating differently like the uh the lack of enunciation between with and you and want to be with you it's just like i don't even know what it reminds you of it's something so 
quintessentially uh, poppy, and I really like it. Hold on. There's no way she spent that much time in London. They haven't hung out with Meghan and Harry. You know what I mean? If I were if I were uh, Meghan, I would definitely be hitting up Taylor Swift. I feel like uh, they between the two of them, the among the four of them, rather, they have the type of security where they could probably do so on the DL. I'm just like confused why there's no footage of her from London ever. It's besides like the obvious paparazzi ones. Like it's pretty. It's pretty amazing. Like where does she live? Where does she stay? What do they do? They just go to pubs like in the holiday. So exciting. I don't know. I don't really know much about London outside of like the city proper. I don't know much about like the outskirts. Um, anyway, maybe I would if I studied this song as it is basically a map of London. It's basically the Carmen San Diego of uh, the UK. You know, it's just uh, it's cute. I like the song. I can't tell what's tongue in cheek and what's not. Um, I think she must really like it there. And, you know, that's great. It's I'm really looking forward to hearing it live, to be honest. I think it's uh, super cute. And what is this, Panama City Beach? It's like, we're still the worst, truly the worst. Okay, moving on. Okay, next is Soon You'll Get Better. This is a tough transition. It's sandwiched between two songs that feel very different from each other and especially different between the, you know, thing that they're sandwiching. Um, London boy is just like almost asexually cute and upbeat and poppy. And then false God is like, so un you know, uncharacteristically sexual. And, um, I just find it difficult to navigate through this side of the tape because I got this shower speaker recently, actually from a fat bit fun box, which you'll hear about momentarily. I must just said momentarily. That's kind of a great episode title for a Mormon episode. Um, and, uh, I'm so I songs play and then the, the playlist goes rogue and I can't find my iPhone or like I can't get to it to turn on fast enough. And I swear to God, when I hear so you'll get better comes on, I straight up do the Marissa Fuchs, Casey Grossman. Where's Gabe influencer proposal run where it looks like a newborn deer mated with a, you know, Phoebe buffet and ran into a soul cycle to pr pretend like they weren't getting proposed to, you know, like that is me flailing trying to get in to change the song as fast as humanly possible. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I just think that like something about, I think that I feel for her and her context so much period. Um, you know, the fact learning in the, uh, the, what was it? The Rolling Stone interview. Like she's never been to therapy. Like think about what this girl's been through. Like, Wow. 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 I honestly didn't think anybody like she and she's like the most level head of anybody. Um, and she said like she literally confides in her mom. Her mom knows absolutely everything. And her mom travels with her a ton and has like been there through her whole career. And I'd argue even though her parents split up a while ago, the family seems like closer than ever. And it was so incredibly sweet to watch them be so beaming and proud of her at the AMAs. And Andrea looked good. And I'm I hope everything's OK. But I, you know, I don't know that it is because in the Apple Music interview, she said like, a big reason of the format of the lover tour is like she wants she can't just drop everything um you know when she's on like a consistent night to night to night tour and she needs more flexibility because there's some like serious stuff going on in her family which i was like oh god um and i think just you know obviously this situation is sad for anybody but especially in the context of somebody being like a sole confidant and so important and like 
living this extravagant, fancy jet-setting life that's so exciting paired with the harsh human inevitable reality of of health be, you know transcending any of those material things that make your life so great uh nobody is is exempt from some of life's harshest and realist hardships and uh regardless of your you know financial situation or your status in life who you are where you're from it's no less excruciating and i think it's so rare that somebody processes this in art form you know other than like movies and like i can't watch i i oh my god like i th these things just crush me and like um you know i think we all have our own reasons and situations it makes us think of and i just you know i uh the one thing i'll say is like i think most of us can like uh, you like as a kid, you think about like adults, you know, that lost their parents and you're like, well, they're adults. They can handle it. And uh, then you become an adult and you're like, I need my parents way more now. You know, it doesn't get that the thought doesn't get any easier. The, and the reality of just everyone's life just gets more imminent and the anxiety worsens as the years go on and like. I don't know. I've talked about this on Patreon before. Like, I just feel like I hustle because I want to be at a place where, like, I can just go, like, camp out at my parents and I just want to, like, spend more time and travel with them and all this stuff. And, like, you know, it's just, like, I just, um, I can't compartmentalize and I can't imagine how hard it would be to be, like, under so much pressure and to be literally facing a potential loss of a person that doesn't just mean so much to you like they are you you are them they are your life they are your soul confidant they're the only person that understands the extraordinary circumstances of an otherwise ordinary family and I just don't see how you'd be able to perform or put on a happy face or just like go out and do all these things that are required of you because other people are on your payroll. There's people need and ask things of you constantly or you're contracted to do things constantly. It's just like I think we all relate to the fact that like if somebody we loved so dearly's health was at stake, nothing else would matter. And like that's kind of why I'm talking about this right now. Like I don't really feel like going here. It's like gives me so much anxiety. Um, but like. I just think it's important, uh, you know, I was the first person to be like, geez, these, there's like only two lover locations. I'm in the dead middle of them. Like I was, you know, couldn't get tickets. I was like the whole thing. I was like down on it for a little while, but like, honestly, I do not care. Like whatever. I just, I want people to like really think about this circumstance and I mean, really be compassionate and empathetic toward anybody in it. And a lot of us have been in it and like, um, it's just so important to, remember how little we know and how little she was whatever disclosed to us about what goes on with her family's life and um how incredibly hard it must be and like how excruciating writing this song and especially like especially releasing it must have been and I don't know I just oh we'll listen to like the first part um because I think that uh the beautiful and very humanizing thing about it is um the more the, the the higher magnitude of the thing is that you're experiencing sometimes the more menial the details are that you notice and like I could lose it when I just hear it be like the uh buttons of my coat were like tangled in my hair and doctor's office lighting I didn't tell you I was scared uh 
Oh God. Uh, the uh, one of the first lines in the best days. I'm five years old. It's getting cold. I've got my. It's the other song I can't listen to. Um. Anyway, oh, let's just like listen to a little bit of it, but um. I also like, obviously, holy orange bottles. Each night I pray to you, desperate people find faith. So now I pray to Jesus too. Like, oh my God, like the praying to the prescription bottles. Like I talked about in the purity episode too. It's like, I'm the first person to like rage against the organized religion machine at times. And the first person to like beg Jesus for something. And like, it's just, it's, it's, I don't know. I just find that like to be totally relatable. It's like, uh, all this, all of your, uh, skepticism, all the rationale, all of the, uh, things that make us separate from, uh, situations where we have to be led by faith because it's implausible so often in day-to-day life and doesn't seem as, uh, pressing as, the things we're doing when it comes to like health and when it comes to something so important and so dire, all of that fades away and all you have and is hope and all you can do is pray and all at that moment, no matter what your agenda, you just hope all of the stuff about prayer and Jesus and God and and healing and the power of prayer. Like you just hope it's all true and you're converted. And, um, it is so interesting how those situations bring you right back there. Even if you haven't been in touch with that for a while. And I know Taylor has gone on record, like when at this, uh, rap secret session with don't blame me, I think she was like, I'm not very religious, but I'm very interested in like, making a song that sounds like him, blah, blah, blah. And I don't think that her family is religious, but like, that's why I think this line is so poignant. Um, and it's also interesting. She plays a ton with re- religious imagery, uh, in her music, especially on this album, but we'll get into that in a minute when we totally shift gears. Um, but just, you know, we'll honor the song with a f- little bit of it, not to torture people, but you know, it's beautiful and it's really, really, really well written. Buttons of my coat were tangled in my hair In doctor's office lighting I didn't tell you I was scared That was the first time we were there Holy orange bottles Each night I pray to you Desperate people find faith So now I pray to Jesus too And I say to you I can't play too much of the song, um, but I do think the really important part of the chorus is one, this line, you'll get better soon. Why? I mean, my God, because you have to, like, that's the thing. It's like, you have no control. And like, when you, when you make optimistic uh, statements in a situation like this, it's just a very interesting, um, self-aware and deeply sad thing to caveat. Like, like I have no grounds for saying this other than like, you have to, like, I, like I need you. Like there's no option. Like there's like later, which I'm not going to get play. It's like, she says, um, what am I supposed to do if there is no you? My God, 
there's this other part that kills me where she's like, I'll, uh, um, I'll paint the kitchen neon. I'll brighten up the sky. I know I'll never get it. There's not a day that I won't try. And I'm just like, I don't know. It kills me. It's like doing those small things. You're like, yeah, let's, let's do this project. Let's paint the kitchen. Let's like do anything that allows us to transcend our unimaginable reality and just pretend like it's not happening or just to get somebody to crack a smile. And I just think it's incredibly sweet and relatable. Somebody, you know, you, you guys, you all, we all, we all would, we would tap dance. We'd go to the ends of the earth to make somebody we loved have a slightly more tolerable experience and perhaps selfishly we're doing it because the only way we can tolerate the pain is to see them alleviated from it if only for a moment and you do everything in your power to try and it's just like god okay I have to move on like is anybody else like are there other Taylor Swift podcasts have people reviewed this song I've honestly tried to record this 12 times and like I this is this is sadly this is the least upset I've sounded um Okay, well, I just felt like it was wrong to completely ignore it. I hope she's okay. I hope, really hope, I mean, I don't know anything that's going on, but God bless her, that's for sure. Um, Okay, and I guess the only good part about um, reviewing the album in full is this actually very adequately represents the um, whiplash levels of pendulum swing one has to do to recover from soon you'll get better to move into false god um the good news is i like this song so much it's like top 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 has been since the second i heard it it took no warming up for me i love it so much um the bad news is it's like so sexy and is so the opposite mood of like what that the soon you'll get better puts you in and um yeah i mean there's there's no good place to put that right like but um yeah I just like need a second hold on I'll BRB okay sorry I don't want this to sound in poor tastes at all I'm just gonna do an ad right now because I I need something like level to get (laughs) um I need to transition and like level out my voice and uh, just talk about something else. Take our mind off it. And maybe I'll take everybody's mind off it by talking about something a little bit more fun. I just don't want, like, I just feel like it's, I don't know, whatever. I hope you understand my intentions. Um, I mean, so I know it's my, anybody who's works with this podcast has been so cool. Like it's not really popular to have 90 minute plus podcasts. Some people do it and like nobody cares, but then for the rest of us, they're like 45 minutes or bust. And it's been a long uh, no pun intended battle trying to figure out my place with like networks and advertisers, but there's been advertisers that like see the engagement and that there's, you know, that there's not drop off. Like you guys listen, you guys care, you're here. Uh, you listen to both parts of the episode and like, have been really excited to work with the podcast. And like, I'm just very grateful for, um, sponsors that like, I just, I like working with people that are like, just because you're not doing what everyone else isn't doing, doesn't mean we're going to like shove it down your throats that we need you to change, but rather like, cool, we see a value in that. And like, it's fine that it's an hour and 15 minutes. And you know, like, I just, I really, really appreciate, um, how wonderful my sponsors have been and, uh, support them if you can. Sorry. I'm like, (laughs) 
<laughs> it's late and I need to get through this podcast, so I'm just trying to like talk to level. Whew, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Um, this is actually a fun one too, though. I mentioned that given this is like four hours of content, um, you know, God bless. <laughs> but the way I first got in touch with uh, FabFitFun to partner is because my listeners in the Facebook group asked if I had a code. And I was like, well, do you want one? Is this something you guys like or have tried? And the comments were absolutely glowing. I was confused at first because I thought it was a, it was samples. And I've done many boxes that are just samples before. And I was feeling like my bathroom kind of looked like, I don't know, if like a light earthquake had hit a Walgreens um, aisle with those baskets and all those travel sized items. I just don't like having a bunch of little things everywhere. But after reading your comments and I got one for myself, I was like, oh, this is great. It's totally different than what I thought it was going to be. Like, I thought it was for, like, influencers that sat around and, like, posted videos and face masks and, like, did a ton of fitnessy stuff, and that's not really my vibe. But actually, I've used almost everything in it. it I don't know. I'm just laughing at myself at the 180 I've done because um, there's so many things that I've gotten from it that I like, and you and. I so I literally have a very comprehensive view of this winter box and I'm not even kidding you when I'm telling you I'm sitting here wearing a pair of fuzzy slippers cable knit gray fuzzy slippers that I got that are fur lined I have a faux fur blanket on I have a Jonathan Adler candle burning and uh, I am wearing my hair turban from the fall box because it dries my hair really fast and I just got out of the shower and by just I mean I don't know hours ago <laughs> I was just like I'm so lazy um but it's I honestly forgot it was on but speaking of shower again yeah my shower speaker I've to listen to so much audio for my job and everything felt like my tasks feel limited to headphones only situations but the speaker has been rev- rev- revolutionary and I know I could have bought one myself but again that's the point it's a it's kind of introducing you or reintroducing you to things that you would definitely like that you wouldn't necessarily buy for yourself or remember or lo- seek out but I to find such function and it is my point like I got a cheese plate with gold cutlery last time I have mink lash or foaming lashes that I am gonna wear to a wedding this week and I have to get a spray tan and I have a coffee scrub that I can use beforehand and like I'm just I don't know I'm genuinely using all the products and I feel like my former experience with subscription boxes was like stuff going to waste but because I have control over this one it's better because like I could pick between a Rebecca Minkoff beanie set and like a faux fur blanket I don't look good in hats can't pull off a hat never could never did never will so if I got one I would be like oh man what am I gonna do with this hat but I got to choose a blanket because my vibe is not really like wearing fashion hats. It's like laying on the couch, scrolling, you know, burning a candle, scrolling through my phone while sitting under a blanket. And for fun, like my husband's having a really fun time because before I got this makeup eraser towel that's in the winter box, I, uh, you know, my our, our bathroom linens were like an inadvertent uh, 101 Dalmatians theme because I simply will use any rough surface to desperately try to get off my waterproof eye makeup. Doesn't go well. Huge fan of the makeup eraser towel, by the way kind of forgot they existed and uh, grateful for its return into my life. But anyway, so to get this seasonal box, again, it's a seasonal subscription box with full-size beauty, fitness, fashion, and lifestyle products, usually about 8 to 10. It's $49.99. Always has a value over $200, though. I mean, depending on what you pick, well over $200. And uh, if you use coupon code BETHEREIN5, F-I-V-E, not the number 5, for $10 off your first box at fabfitfun.com, the box will be $39.99. And you will get so much stuff. And we're giving away a box at the live show. So you can see for yourself there. It's December 5th. And then you can see if you want to buy one too. But the winter box is legit. So anyway, fabfitfun.com. Use code be there and five for $10 off and uh, treat yourself to Tom Haverford style this holiday season. And let me know what you think in the Facebook group. So thanks to FabFitFun. Bye. We were crazy to think, crazy to think that this could work. Remember how I said I'd die for you. to jump 
in the ocean separating us remember how i fly to you i love the way she says jump like she she like doesn't really um enunciate the p it's kind of it sounds like breathy and interesting my god i love this song you guys i apparently this people like don't I unanimously feel one way about this song. I thought it was like brilliant. I love when she experiments. I love when people um, that I think it's tough when you are a role model for young women and no matter how old you get, your fans are still going to be younger and younger because you're, you know, great and age appropriate for them and, you know, whatever. Um, I was in a sea of 10 year olds. I was very too tall. It was a very down in front situation at the rep tour, which I took a mental note of floor seats for that exact reason. It was like a little distracting because I felt bad blocking children. You know what I mean? Um, But I also think that like an artist should have the freedom to uh, write and reflect the, the reality of their life. And the reality of a grown ass woman is that you want to be able to have space to talk about, you know, your sexuality, your sex life, whatever it is you want. Like if you're creating art, I feel like it's such a blind spot to leave out like a part of like your romantic life that is like there. Then we all assume it's there, but like you actively withhold it. And I, I get it out of privacy. But I also think that songwriting is such a form of self-expression that there's like subtleties and metaphor and way you can t- ways you can actually talk about it that uh favor private people favor reserved people but still really get the point across and i love when she kind of toes that line i don't really see her like going full-on dirty two r's too dirty to clean my act up assless chaps get in the ring with red man but i do think that this is the sexiest song she's ever had uh so it goes would be the next and uh i guess dress I talked about this last episode. Sorry. Well, how did I rank it then? I change my mind constantly. I just like to say things, basically. <laughs> you know, I'm just I'm a big uh, I'm a big fan of the sax. I'm a big fan of hearing Taylor talk about her having sax. And uh, I just think it's like, you know, not in like a creepy or pervy way. Just like I just think it's a normal part of life. And uh, it's good that she's able to express herself. And I love how creatively she did it with this song. When I was thinking about like, okay, some of the religious imagery used throughout, I mean, throughout her career and throughout this album, I mean, Don't Blame Me is one of my favorite songs of all time that I think is pretty much inspired by Hozier. She tweeted about Hozier's work song being the perfect song, which is literally just a giant metaphor for sex um, as it relates to religion. Like, isn't Hozier like an atheist, but he sings about like church all the time? It is kind of interesting, though. She plays with religious themes often, despite not identifying necessarily as religious. When you think about, like, um, we'll sing Hallelujah, Holy Ground, uh, State of Grace. We'll talk to Jesus, too, so you'll get better. Don't blame me. Lord, save me. My drug is my baby. I'll be using for the rest of my life. Um, other than that, I'm like, and ask God to play it again. That's not really count uh, for our song. But, like, I don't know. I just think it's interesting, like. Obviously, this is tied to Cornelia Street, but then I feel confused about how to tie Cornelia Street to other songs. So then this makes this song in connection with these songs that I can't really place, which is Cruel Summer, Cornelia Street <clears throat> and False God. Um, what's interesting about these songs? Well, in addition to uh, Death by a Thousand Cuts, I suppose, is that uh, Cruel Summer is killing me slow out the window. I'm always waiting for you to be waiting below Death by a Thousand Cuts as I look through the windows of this love, even though we boarded them up. Paul Scott is staring out the window like I'm not your favorite town. I'm still in New York City. I still do it for you, babe. 
Um, I still I still think that's like an interesting combo. And also when you tie the city thing, it's like Cornelia Street, baby, I get mystified by how the city screams your name. And as you know, I kind of have this I feel like Cornelia Street is the follow up to Cruel Summer. It's like the fall after like the drunken admission of love. It's like the flip side, the better side of a relationship that at one point was quite cruel, but still not the same like person she's with now. Like, I just I don't know why I just don't. It's just not registering for me. And I know I'm not right. I'm like, nobody would agree with that. But um, I just think there's something about Cruel Summer, Cornelia Street and False God that connects Death by a Thousand Cuts has like imagery. It pulls from these songs that I think represents like an ending, even though she's very careful to make sure people know that that's not about anybody, which I think is interesting in and of itself. Um, But regardless, it's not paternity test. Let's just enjoy the song for what it is. And, uh, you know, I think that the most scandalous lyric we can all acknowledge is the altar is my hips. You know, you're worshiping at an altar. What are you doing? You're on your knees. Where are your hips? Where your face is? You know, let's call a spade a spade. Where are you like a necklace? That to me, I was like, <gasps> I was like that, that like I, when I first heard this, line, I was like, well, Jesus has left the building. Like, hello. You know, for some, like we talked about in the Purity podcast, if you're new here, I did a two part series on um, what I think were the damaging implications of the marketing movement by the Southern Baptist Church that was deliberately designed in the early 90s to shame a generation of young women into thinking we were responsible for men's behavior. Um, And I feel like there's a subset of like a like of the target demo that listens to my podcast that I'm into because I experienced this like uniquely was exposed like to the extremities of this movement and experienced a lot of um, uh, like issues with like body image and sexuality and whatever as a result um, from like having purity like so closely tied to self-worth and all this stuff, whatever. Um, Anyways, I'm just telling you that in case you're new here and you're interested in that or you like had a conservative or southern upbringing or whatever regardless it's actually quite interesting the second episode i tell people stories about all the horrible metaphors and things they were told about their bodies and how you know what are the implications on like sexual assault reporting and all that stuff these are the things i i lie awake about at night i'm <laughs> thinking about at night um anyways i say that because what's so interesting about uh the ties between sex and religion is like I mean, look at Prince. He's an artist that did this well. Madonna really uh, transposes these themes quite often. A lot of artists do because the confusing thing about sex and why I brought up the purity thing is it either is really representative of like the ultimate shameful sin, especially out of wedlock or whatever in the church's eyes. But there's that um, contrast of it also being positioned oftentimes as like the highest expression of divinity, right? Like it's the, the thing we were given to enjoy, you know, man made it like a construct of societal law with like marriage and shit. Maybe the Bible did. I don't know. Um, but I just like think it got over it got it gets really overcomplicated with a lot of the legalistic uh, approaches that are taken to uh, organized religion. And it it's just a very complicated issue. But anyway, I say that because I think it's interesting when you when you compare the two, because I think there's just similarities. Um, not only with faith uh, to what a relationship requires, but also um, with the components of a relationship that could be uh, akin to idolatry. Because when you think about it, thinking about, okay, well, religion by definition, like, does that insinuate it must center on like a specific God or gods? And one of the definitions is that it's simply, you know, 
a cause principle or system of beliefs held to with ardor and faith. And that's what I would argue here. It's like there's, you know, whether you draw something like from Christianity or whatever, like I think the point is more so that, you know, she said sacred new beginnings, right, became her religion um, in terms of a, a thing that you hold on to with ardor and faith. And it's, it's everything to you. It's, it's sacred. I think relationships can um, hold that similarly hold that level of sanctity where it is your rock. It is your foundation. It is your baseline. It is it's 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 the pole to, to your magnetic field. It's like the, the, the place you come back to the your center and the place that kind of dictates, you know, kind of like our country, I guess it was a lawless land. Like they, I kind of see it as like, this is our place. We make the rules for lack of a better term. Like, I don't know. I kind of see the relate broader relationship as like the religion, the sacred thing, the thing that's the most precious to her. The only thing that's like uniquely hers is this like special intimate one-on-one relationship. And in the absence of like an actual uh, metaphor to a like God based or Jesus based or prophet based, whatever religion, um, when you think about the concept of idolatry and a false God, I think that like in this case, let's say like a relationship could theoretically be a practiced religion and the tenets and things, the sacraments, whatever, like the things that are make you um, a part of it are all different focal points of different value. But at the end of the day, the most important thing like should be like the love you share, your connection, your character, your um, respect for one another, your trust within each other. Like there are tenets of a relationship that theoretically should be like the paramount thing to focus on and worship. And I think what this song is saying is like, these two people do not have a strong foundation and these two people's religion is really not based on a whole lot other than the worship of their sexual relationship. And I think the idolatry here, the false god, is um, the worshiping the part of a relationship that is not the most important part that makes it work, and that is not like not the most essential thing to make this pure and sacred religion operable. So. It's in a normal faith that's considered this like sin to, you know, focus and worship on something else that is not, you know, your one and only God. I kind of see it as like instead of like working on and fixing and paying attention to the things that would actually make this relationship move forward and you're led by blind faith. I think blind faith is just having very little evidence to work on and just like hoping, you know, just your raw belief in a thing is going to be enough to make it work. And like, I just think this song is about like people that really aren't working, aren't supposed to be together, probably won't be. But in the moment, indulge in the moment worship in the moment, their idolatry is their sexual attraction and indulgence for one another. And um, there's like this passion and intensity. And even though intellectually, most people know that that's not the only thing that can fuel a relationship in real time, it seems like the of utmost importance. It's a false God. It's incredibly um satisfying it's incredibly in the moment it's incredibly short-sighted but it's all the more like beautiful and passionate because there's like this level of intensity that's uh, you know exceeds any sort of need for rationale i think the things like we might just get away with it and we were stupid to jump and we we're crazy to think like it has this through line of like negativity or uh tentativeness or um i don't know it's like there's just so much doubt like 
it's such a sexy song and you're like there and you feel it, but like, it's so incredibly um, like eclipsed by this, like uncertainty that's being sung along with it. And it's just this weird, like level of like awareness met with like the lust piece that I think it makes this song super interesting. And um, I think that like, there's just a reason why whatever they're doing is either considered a false God or like worshiping or like, it's just, they're not, either they're not right for each other. Other people don't perceive them as being right for each other and they're not supposed to be together. Or it's just like a complicated relationship where the chemical sexual attraction makes more sense than the actual reality of the relationship does. But like, I mean, if we're like, truly the altar is my hips, like religions in your lips, lips meet hips. (laughs) It just, it's like, it is this, it's like a positioning as some sort of religious ritual um, of worship of this false God. And I mean, it, it, it is like, it's a kind of unbelievable for her. It's like, so if you really think about it, it's so incredibly suggestive and, um, specific and I'm into it. And I don't, I have no clue who this song's about or what it's about. And I'm kind of trying not to focus on it. Cause like, I just don't know. I'm just trying to like pair it more so with other songs, but away from the theme, just to get back to the jazzy piece, she's almost like, her voice is kind of like riffing in a jazz style. Um, it's like, doesn't, it's, it's not perfectly matching the instruments. It's, it, I don't know how, I don't know if enough about music to like explain it. Um, but I love this. I love the jazz style and I love the way she's singing and she's almost doing that thing where she's cramming in too many syllables and it doesn't go exactly with the melody. And that's kind of the point of jazz um, is like, I see, I think that this was, this song was done in this style and chosen <clears throat> to experiment with in a jazz format because, you know, the, the the soul of jazz, I feel like what made it so different. Again, I don't I don't know that much, but is is the you know art of improvisation, right? Like the freedom, the space uh, to play the music as you go and you stick to the beat and the meter at times and you go off at other times and um I think that that's such a metaphor for this like relationship is the improvisation of uh, them probably being on and off, not supposed to be together, having this immense sexual attraction that for whatever reason is wrong because of their relationship or otherwise. And um, they just like worship this love and it's perhaps unhealthy, but it's there. And I think that like that jazzy nature is just kind of indicative of, uh, there being a lot of um, beauty in the imperfection, there being a lot of uh, importance in having the more spontaneous, present, beautiful moments of life that don't, maybe don't fit exactly into the puzzle or exactly the way you always thought they would. But it doesn't mean they're not valuable experiences. Obviously, false idolatry is like a you know an issue in religions or whatever. But I think the point is more so like, um, you know, actively knowing you're doing something wrong being very self-aware that this isn't right, doing it anyway, worshiping it anyway, and just kind of recognizing this human element of like, we don't always have all the answers. There's so much doubt overshadowing this whole situation, but there's something like magnetic, chemical, like there's just, it's here and we can't help but worship it like it's a religion, like it's second nature, like it's something we have such blind faith we jump into. It like transcends thought. And um, I really I think that that's uh, why I like the sax backing and the jazz and the way she sings it. It's um, I don't know. There, there's a level of uh, uh, smooth chaos that I think 
it represents this sort of relationship. Anyways, I'm sorry. I, I really am trying to not like um, be like, who is this about? Because I just like I really feel like that gets me off on a tangent. And I just genuinely think it's like an interesting song and concept that you can extrapolate, you know, who you think it's about uh, for yourself. I like go back and forth because the like I'm New York City, you're the West Village. These people seem to both be from New York. Staring out the window like I'm not your favorite town. I uh, or like if you spent that much time in it, you know, I don't know, guys. I just feel like this is uh, this like alternate side of like Cruel Summer and Corne- Cornelia Street, like some of the more tumultuous times, like playing games. Da, da, da. It's like I feel like whatever's happening here. These are like the sexier moments of, that are, you know, still filled with some doubt, whatever. But then when we get into like afterglow and stuff. I'm like, oh, well, I guess she's apologizing now. And is this. So, like, I really don't know. Don't listen to me. I'm just, like, spitballing here. Um, But I just, I don't know. I think this song's so beautiful, and I'm obsessed with, I mean, a few key parts. Um, I love when the beat drops after um, I go, like, I know heaven's a thing. We don't know if it's breakable heaven, but uh, I go there when you touch me, honey. Oh, wait. I know heaven's a thing. I go there when you touch me, honey. Hell is when I fight with you. Yes, that part. But we can patch it up good. Make confessions and we're begging for forgiveness. Got the wine for you. Okay, that part, like, they all warned us about times like this. They said the road gets hard. Like, the way she's singing, I, like, earlier I was arguing, like, it's kind of like riffing, like, it sounds like intentional with the, like, jazzy style. Maybe it was in the Facebook group. Um, Somebody was talking about how it could also be like, uh, it's almost like a preachy tone, like from a pulpit. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's like, oh, da, 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 like I'm taken with the Lord's spirit. Like it could kind of go either way, honestly. And I thought that was like a really astute observation. Um, do you guys remember when like the secret session, like, or no, the album tracklist, like quote unquote leaked and there was supposed to be a song called Carnal Desire. And I was like, absolutely not like hard pass. <laughs> but like, this is Carnal Desire, you know? it's uh pretty funny i think uh so different like i feel like this was a really fruitful experiment for her um it's so vague i've i just like it's confusing the metaphor isn't super direct it's like obvious but also uh, the, the way she's positioning it i think could like go a lot of different ways in terms of what defines the falsehood of the idol tree um in terms of being forbidden, in terms of just not being a wise decision, in terms of being, un, you know, unnatural against biblical standards, if you will, which disgusting. But unfortunately, some people talk like that. Um, and one thing I read that I thought was really, really interesting, uh, an interesting way to look at it was, you know, she says that lover is about all, you know, celebrating all different types of love, um, different phases of it, different types of it, uh, different facets, rather. and um, Somebody pointed out how in contrast with Miss Americana and the Heartbreak Prince, or I guess in relation to um, that song's kind of like these overarching themes of like patriotism and pride and religion and the, you know, the Americana of it all and the, the, the high school football cheerleader dynamic, like these things that are so representative of our culture that we all believe in that are all like these like staples that... Um, should be fixtures, I guess, that uh, for a lot of people, you know, largely let them down in recent history. 
and all these things we should be like worshiping our whatever our country our religion our um sense of uh pride that we have in the things that are so uniquely american um all of those things when crumbling all that mattered is that she had the person to weather through it all with and miss americana and the heartbreak prince it was just like uh well i forget the words now like it's you and me that's my whole world like they whisper in the hallway she's a bad bad girl uh i forget something run away with you whatever um the song is just kind of like stripping it's like all this shit that we're supposed to love is so so much is wrong with it but true love is what matters and like a false god similarly is like there's so many external reasons why this would crumble why this wouldn't work why this is the thing we're not supposed to want but it is the thing we want so therefore it is right therefore is what i'm putting my faith into i'm not putting my faith into whatever construct or external um you know thing is going to make other people or make us more intellectually think that this is the better thing to do what's so beautiful valuable rare sacred is this sort of intensity and connection between people that they're worshiping and instead of what uh, some could argue would be more false idols, which would be not being true to yourself and what you believe in and what's important to you. So I kind of thought that was a really interesting way to look at it, considering this album is supposed to be about love above all else and um, stripping down the things we're supposed to love versus the things we do is like a great way to look at some of these songs that paint a more complex picture. It's like, well, what's complex about it? The external circumstances or their specific feelings for one another. And so often the way Taylor sings or writes, it's, it's about all of the reasons they can't work that aren't necessarily related to how she feels. Um, and yeah, I just thought that was like a really interesting point. I don't know. Every time this song comes on, I get excited. Not, I mean, I like Afterglow, but because it sounds like another song that I love very much, uh, you might recall it, uh, it's, it's, it's a simple tune with a music video that is a grown man, uh, shirtless lying in a bed of white linen striped all over a canopy outdoors in a sea of, uh, burning candles with two naked babies surrounded by grown men playing instruments. And that song is this. honest i forgot you were there um wow what a tune not to take away from taylor swift but uh jesse katsopoulos and his fledgling music career that never quite took off as he lived with his four-person family in the attic of a home of a five-person family it was a bit of a bummer um not as big of a bummer as when he rebranded to hot daddy and the monkey puppets and they focused mostly on polka or when he sang glow little glowworm glimber glimber in an airport lounge but I'm a fan nonetheless. I'm a big Beach Boys stan. I grew up listening to a ton of the Beach Boys, ton of the Bee Gees, ton of the Beatles, all the Bees. My dad's a huge fan. And my dad and I's first dance song was God Only Knows, which is maybe the best song of all time in the history of the world. And I can't hear it. It, it makes me emotional too. Honestly, I'm getting to a point where I'm concerned. I can't really like listen to anything anymore. 
<laughs> um, you might have noticed <clears throat> my voice has changed. I am on a new mic. I am in Michigan for Thanksgiving. And uh, I am in my in-law's basement. And I have no idea what they think I'm doing. Um, but I did not get to some of the other, some of the other songs. So I'm going to actually go through these faster. Because these aren't my favorites. Um, I think it's pretty clear based on my, you know, exhausting analysis of death by a thousand cuts and um, false god those are my favorites i also didn't factor in that i was going to do soon you'll get better so hence why i'm struggling with the two hour thing but anyway okay afterglow a song that we all assume is just like about makeup sex that i think is probably about something a little bit deeper um it's her you know i'm not going to say for once because i feel like she takes responsibility uh more in her songwriting these days but it goes, I blew things out of proportion. Now you're blue. Love that blue, blue. I put you in jail for something you didn't do. I pinned your hands behind your back. Oh, thought I had reason to attack, but no. Fighting with the true love is boxing with no gloves. Chemistry till it blows up till there's no us. Why'd I have to break what I love so much? It's on your face and I'm to blame. I need to say. So if it weren't for the line at the beginning, I blew things out of proportion. Now you're blue. Put you in jail for something you didn't do. I might be like, oh, did she cheat? Or like, did she really do something? But I think like um, she has trust issues because she's a famous person. And since she's dating a famous person or has dated famous people. And uh, I just think like it would be hard to see to a be in a long distance relationship constantly B to feel like other people hit on the person you're with when you're not around C you see like paparazzi pictures or you see them out and about or you hear of things or they're with friends of friends. And I don't know. I just would imagine even if you're like a secure, beautiful celebrity, the person's in love with, like we all have our insecurities and we all have our jealous moments and we all have our outbursts where we just like kind of jump to conclusions. And honestly, what I hear from this song is like um, her accusing the person she's dating of something, blowing it out of proportion and basically was like not letting them talk, fight back guilty and said some things that cut pretty deep. And um I think she's realizing through this song, like, this is a lot more to do with me like this, you know, you didn't do it. And why did I have to break this? And it's on your face and I'm to blame. And like, it's all in my head. I'm the one who burned us down, but it's not what I meant. And I'm so sorry that I hurt you. I think like sometimes when we're angry, when we're, um, when we're, you know, hurting from things in our past, whether it's having baggage from past relationships, whether it's, um, just like carrying our own insecurities in life because we're so scared to lose something. I think we can um, react, you know, from a place that has really nothing to do with truth and everything to do with um, fear and hypotheticals and self-preservation and protection. And I just see this as a situation of a person that takes it too far, blames a person of something with no evidence. The person tries to fight back. They're not allowed to talk. And um, the way you get your point across and the way you feel like you win the fight is by cutting way too deep is by saying something you do not mean. And I think all of us in relationships have said things we don't mean because at the moment it, your priority becomes like, you know, in the heat of it, you're, you, you're not thinking about the long-term effects of what you're saying. You're thinking about like winning. You're thinking about the other person being like, Oh damn, you're right. Like what is never going to happen. And, um, I just think this is a really interesting song because it's a person realizing that they did that and then apologizing through this song. And I still do think Afterglow is kind of like makeup sex, but um, I think that this is like a mature song. And I think that this is like a, a very honest song. And I think, uh, I don't know, I think it's pretty cool of her to be like, 
I blew things out of proportion. Like I hurt you. This like this is messed up. And I really like the um, fighting with true love is boxing with no gloves line because it's really about like, um, like when you fight and you're truly in love and it's not like a surface level thing. It's not like an infatuation thing. It's not a brief thing. Um, you have to be so careful when you're boxing with gloves. There's a level of, of uh, default protection that can only knock you out, but so hard, right? Boxing with no gloves, uh, when you're like sparring, um, you need to be careful with the hits you take because there's long-term damage and there is irreparable damage at times. And I just think it's a really interesting metaphor for, um, you, when you have arguments with people, like you, when you're sparring, you like don't really mean to hurt them, but then sometimes you take the jab and it's too far and it hurts and they're broken. And it's just like, and then that's kind of, at least for me when I retract and I'm like, Oh God. And I think when you kind of snap out of the heat of the moment, um, you have this, um, the, the, the worst part sometimes is like, a, you're no longer mad at the person. B, you feel horrible for hurting the other person. And C, you're so mad at yourself. And um, I think it's like a really tough feeling. And I, at least any time after I've gotten in an argument, all I want is for it to be over. All I want is to be in that, you know, metaphorical afterglow, but in terms of like, you know, the light emitted by an incandescent object while it's cooling, you know, what while you're cooled down, while everything's fine, while you're um, getting back to a place where not only are you normal, but you've bounced back from this argument. And there's almost a period after an argument where once, if, and once the two people kind of get past it, there is like almost a, a moment of like relief and uh, additional appreciation for one another because you both didn't want to be fighting. And I kind of see that as just like the afterglow in terms of like, okay, <laughs> like, let's just like, let's just not do this anymore. And let's just like appreciate one another. And like, let's never do that again. Cause it's excruciating and almost coming back from an experience that's painful and realizing it can be over and you can move on from it is, is so um, calming and positive. And that's kind of an afterglow vibe to me, but afterglow can mean anything. It can be the glow after uh, you know, in the sky after a sunset, it can be a euphoric feeling as it relates to like drugs. It can be uh, you know, a post coital, if you will. Um, it's uh, it can be a lot of different things, but I think in this case, it, especially with the theme of lover and the sky and the light and ultraviolet morning light below. I mean, I think it's kind of a combination of all things and it's just kind of an all encompassing world word for being in a pleasurable p place following an experience. I can't honestly say I understand the ultraviolet morning light below line. Um, ultraviolet light. I mean, yeah, it's a stuff that, like makes you sunburn and stuff, but I primarily know it as being like black lights. <laughs> Um, but also I was trying to do more research. I was like, well, am I misunderstood? Like, is there some sort of morning light that is ultraviolet? Like that's specific because she, this, she calls out this line in the foreword. Um, the, is that what it's called? The prologue rather. Uh, so it clearly like means something. And like, this is just funny. It has nothing to do with it. But, uh, I was looking up, um, ultraviolet morning light. And I was trying to say like minus Taylor Swift, like from the search, because if obviously if you type that in, all that's coming up is afterglow. And um, of course, I get led in down a rabbit hole of the uh, Neil Garrell Swift Observatory. It's a it's what's formerly just called the Swift Observatory. 
It was launched on November 20th, 2004. This is why conspiracy theorists can go crazy with numerology because there's so many coincidences. Like I was just LOLing. I'm like, of course it was launched on November 20th because 11 plus two plus zero is 13. And um, anyway, it, uh, it, it's this um, d- telescope designed, this, the Swift Observatory is a telescope designed to detect gamma ray bursts. And um, I was just like looking through the different events and I'm just like, oh my God, of course, they're currently like in cycle 13. Of course, they detect ultraviolet morning light. Like, of course. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with anything, but it was just kind of making me laugh because um, I haven't like gotten into the numerology stuff in a while. But of course, I'm like reading news about the Swift Observatory and it's like October 16th, 2017. Swift catches first ultraviolet light from a gravitational wave event. And it's like basically how this was like found in the morning or something. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what this means. And then I'm like, September 27th or no, September, uh, May 4th, 2017, Swift peers into the inner regions of an accrediting supermassive black hole. I'm like, oh, I love that song by Muse. Oh, the Twilight soundtrack really wasn't bad relative to the quality of the movie. wonder if she likes Muse. wonder if this means anything. Is that when she posted a photo of her and Joe with a cactus or they posted separate photos of the cactus? I mean, I'm literally losing my mind. Um, and uh, it just kind of made me LOL. And then I kind of realized how many space things are like a smidge pervy reading through these things. Um, like, uh, like a key project by a man named Thomas Macaron. The title of his project is the uh, Swift Galactic Bulge Modern Monitoring Survey. And I was like, oh, Galactic Bulge. I'm Samantha. Protozoa. That's probably what Xenon was after. I just, you know, I need to get out of here. Um, anyway, moving on to Afterglow. I don't know. Honestly, like those are kind of my thoughts on the song. I don't have like anything like deeper revelatory to say. Um, I just think she realized that love is worth the fight and that she messed up and she's apologizing and she lived like an island. And you know how I love this assonance with I lived like an island punish you with silence went up like sirens just crying. I just, I love verses like this. I probably said this in love at first sight, but it's because he's the only two people whose lyrics I absolutely, uh, you know, devour like, uh, apparently this aggressive, supermassive black hole I just read about. And, uh, I like, uh, Hamilton, like I know the action in the street is exciting, but Jesus between all the bleeding and fighting, I've been reading and writing. Like, I love stuff like that. Um, if you want to hear my Hamilton deep dive of act one, please go to patreon.com slash be there in five. I did not do act two because frankly, it makes me too sad. Um, and I think most of <clears throat> the lyrics that blow my mind are in act one. And, uh, anyway. I, like I might do it again sometime, but I think that's the problem is like, I say I'm going to do a deep dive, but the reality is I want to just cover things I like because <laughs> I can't analyze things that it's not that I don't like them. I can't, I just can't analyze things. I'm not like obsessed with and the level of depth that these like deep dives require. Oh my God. If I've been talking for 10 minutes, I was going to get through three songs. Um, anyway, so what, how does afterglow finish out? Um, tell me that you're still mine. Tell me it will be just fine. Even when I lose my mind. I need to say, tell me that it's not my fault. Tell me that I'm all you want. Even when I break your heart, I need to say, hey, it's on me. You know, I think I like that bridge actually, because um, even when it's my fault, I still want that reassurance. I, all I want is for the person to forgive me. I want the person to like, tell me like, it's fine. I'm not mad. Like, I still love you. And tell me all the reasons why I'm wonderful, even when I don't deserve it. And I think that there's like this interesting deficit of how when you lash out at somebody, it could appear that you're the overconfident one. You're the one that's like really putting the heat on them when really you're probably the one with the most, um, uh, the, the most insecure, the one with the deficit as it relates to attention and love and affection. And you're the one that probably needs it the most, even though you're pushing everybody around you away. 
And um, I just love this honest confessional song of an adult who messed up and who accused something, someone of something they didn't do and um, completely blew it out of proportion. I just think it's interesting. And I really like this song. I, it's not my numero uno, but you know, now that I've really linked it close, more closely to Jesse and the Rippers, um, maybe we're heading into mashup territory because you only hope your afterglow is forever, you know? Anyway, moving on. Nice to have a friend. So, okay, let's listen to a little bit of this. School bell rings, walk me home. Sidewalk chalk, covered in snow. Lost my gloves, you give me one. Wanna hang out, yeah, sounds like fun. In this song, she does um, that this twice, like want to hang out. Yeah, sounds like fun. And she also does it like have my back. Yeah, like every day. And I just love how she sings it. So um, nice to have a friend. I can't say I can't. I don't know that. Like, I think this song's a bit of a question mark for a lot of people. It's like so simple, yet like highly vague. And I know I keep saying that, but I think that's what she does very beautifully is like, the details, the imagery, the sounds, uh, the the sights, the smells, like it's all so incredibly palpable, yet the um, broader theme is incredibly vague. I guess I shouldn't say vague. I guess I should say universal. Um, I like that she left this pretty uh, universal to um, whether it's friendship, platonic or romantic, and whether it's uh, you know completely gender neutral as well, because it really can apply to anybody. And I think that song by design is what she wanted is for it to apply to anybody of any relationship type. And I think a lot of people kind of go back and forth on this song. They're like thinking it's a, uh, like a story of a girl in love with an, her other girl, best friend. And you kind of your whole life have to cover that just whether you're writing her off as your friend, because everyone around you can't know she's more than a friend or you're uh, doing that out of your own denial that they're more than a friend. And then only ultimately to get married and to be free and to have your life together. And, you know, to actually feel confident in the fact that you're calling them your friend, because when you get to the point of marriage, all you want in life is a partner who's your best friend. And, you know, in a forbidden situation or in a situation where people felt they couldn't be together and they had to just call themselves friends, that's a word that they might not, you know, appreciate as much at the time because it represents something they can't really say. Um, and I think that's kind of an interpretation. But beyond that, I think like it really can apply to anything. And Taylor Swift's very LGBTQ friendly, obviously. So regardless of any of that, I don't think it's like a thing we need to disagree about. I think it's like the beauty of the song is that it, it you can kind of just place yourself in it, it independent of your situation. And I think it beautifully captures a, how at different points in life, you seek different types of friendships. You need different types of support and uh, close closeness looks different. And when you're a child, it's so innocent. And when you're a teenager, it, it very often blurs uh, lines romantically. And when you're an adult, um, you know, partners, spouses become the BFFs of adulthood. And I just think that there really is no one way to explain this song. It's beautiful. It's eerie. It's haunting. It's cute. Uh, I, I still hold strong that that sounds more like a xylophone than a steel drum, but apparently it's a steel drum. And um, what's cool about this song is that... Um, well, she said, we've used musicians. The singers on the song are kids from a school called the Regent Park School of Music in Toronto, which is a school for underprivileged youths. They don't have to pay to learn music. It's really cool to know that the song is about childhood friendship and all that. And it's got these really young voices and young musicians who are playing on the record. So um, she does say that it's about childhood friendship. Um, 
but <clears throat> I mean, like, I don't know. I, I think whether it's with, uh, well, first of all, two, first of all, again, 10th of all, um, the Mr. Rogers pin she was wearing in that bill or what was it? The billboard article, um, obviously a beautiful, uh, Day in the Neighborhood came out this week with Tom Hanks. And I know this because I just went to a Tom Hanks themed Thanksgiving, T.Hanksgiving, spelled Thanksgiving, and uh, made a beautiful cheese tray in the neighborhood. But um, I think that, you know, given that, well, in the lyric booklet, um, when you look at the song is uh, formatted differently than other songs, it's like three columns and it's almost um, beautifully, poetically, uh, lacks punctuation. And the three columns that are, they're deliberately s- split among, um, I think show these different life phases very well. And I think it's, I think it's honestly a poem she probably wrote that she made into a song and decided to put it to the tune of, um, these, I think she writes a lot of poems we never see, and I'm hoping she'll publish them someday. But, um, I think she put it to the tune of this like region school soundtrack and kind of included it in there because there wasn't really a song that was about friendship. And I think that, you know, you think about songs like 22, you know, that like, kind of celebrate friends in the, in the girls that are just like wild fun. We're going out like brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Um, and, but then this is like this kind of like innocent, pure um, observation of friendship through small details throughout life that are very indicative of, of the specific time that you can really feel and understand. And it's, it's, it's a really beautiful song and it's perfect for a movie trailer. And it reminds me of that era when movie trailers, like it was very popular to be like, I don't know, I'm thinking of the era where, where the wild things are came out and it was arcade fires wake up an outstanding song that got so overplayed. And I feel bad for it because I really think it's one of the, like, it's such a great, great, beautiful song or like uh, the social network and um, the really uh, the slow children's choir cover of um, creep by Radiohead. Oh my God. That that's one of the best trailers of all time. I, I actually really used to like watching movie trailers, which is funny. I just don't think movies are good anymore. Um, but anyway, I think that whether this song in terms of the three situations, whether it's about three different people, the same person and something imaginatory she wanted and then ultimately got the point is that the, the fact that the album is, is intended, as she said in the prologue, to represent different types of love. The song about friendship kind of beautifully and eerily bridges the beauty of true closeness and friendship with the blurring lines of what when closeness can skew romantic, perhaps inadvertently, perhaps by surprise, perhaps it's what you wanted. But then ultimately, friendship is what you want with the person you're with romantically, quite deliberately. And, um, you know, I think that, like I said, it's beautifully inclusive. It's gender neutral, open to interpretation. And I think that the point is that independent of any of those things, your gender, sexuality, whatever, it's nice to have a friend. And when you reach your teenage years, friendship gets complicated and lines can be crossed and you can sleep in tents and maybe somebody touches your hand and who the hell knows if it's male, male, female, female, male, female, doesn't matter. I guess I should read some of the lyrics. Sorry. (laughs) I just like, since I'm listening to these songs, I'm just talking about them like, you know exactly what I'm saying and I, you do not. Okay. School bell rings, walk me home. Sidewalk chalk covered in snow. Lost my gloves. You give me one. Want to hang out? Yeah. Sounds like fun. Video games, you pass me a note. Sleeping in tents, it's nice to have a friend. I like, don't you remember with like when you were young, you being like, let's go camping tonight in your suburban backyard and then definitely go inside by midnight because it's spooky as hell and there's bugs. And we probably told one ghost story and uh, somebody wants a glass of milk and to like freeze the person that fell asleep's bra because they're a monster. And I do not like pranks and I don't believe in them. And I would thaw bras of the poor gal sleeping 
because you know what? It's nice to have a friend and I want to be that friend. I don't believe in taking pictures of people while they're sleeping. I don't believe in posting videos of people singing karaoke from the night before. I don't believe in posting videos without people's consent of them doing something silly drunk. It's like, can't we let these funny moments just be captured and then, you know, just let them slip like Eminem said? Well, I guess he said you don't want to let them slip. I don't know. I like to lose myself in the moment and then not post about it afterward. And I just think sleepovers were like when people started to get like disposable cameras and stuff. And like I'd fall asleep on a field trip bus and people would take a picture. I'd be like, come on, man, I sleep with my mouth open. What do you want to do? I don't have great, I don't have great clearance through my nose. It's just, it just is what it is. It used to infuriate me. But anyways, I could, I could do a whole episode on sleepover culture. My God, light as a feather, stiff as a board, Ouija boards, Bloody Mary. I mean, all the things. I uh, used to have the deepest convos when I was a kid. And um, so I, I really did love sleepovers, but I also did corral the up all night club because I already knew I was going to be too anxious to go to sleep at somebody else's house and I cannot and will not sleep on a floor. So I'd like go around and be like, hey guys, we're starting this up all night club. That you have to make a pack though. You got to stay up all night and you got to like hang out with me. And I'd make it seem like really appealing when really I knew nobody would join and they'd drop like flies and I'd only be up awkwardly with one person I didn't really know very well. And we didn't have a lot to talk about. So then I'd be the one being like, oh man, got to hit the hay. And it's like, I, it's, it's very weird when you try to start a cult following, you try to start a movement and then you're the one that ultimately backs out of it because you don't really like your own followers. It's uh, it was a tough, a tough lifestyle for me. Moving on, um, <laughs> uh, light pink sky. She loves light pink skies up on the roof. She loves that too. Sun sinks down, no curfew. 20 questions, we tell the truth. You've been stressed out lately. Yeah, me too. Oh, she does it with the, oh, I love this. She does it in all three verses with the question. Yeah, me too. Um, something gave you the nerve to touch my hand. It's nice to have a friend. Church bells ring, carry me home. Rice on the ground, looks like snow. Call my bluff, call you babe. Have my back, yeah, every day. I feel like I'm getting misty. Feels like home, stay in bed the whole weekend. It's nice to have a friend. Poof. That last verse is like so sweet about marriage. Um, okay. I love how it starts with school bell rings, walk me home, sidewalk chalk covered in snow. It comes full circle so beautifully with church bells ring, carry me home, rice on the ground, looks like snow. I love call my bluff, call you babe. Um, you know, as we all know, she wants to be somebody's end game. And the way they do that is to call her bluff on all her usual tricks. Um, and have my back yeah, every day. I feels like home, stay in bed the whole weekend. I mean, truly, that's what love is. It's love isn't, uh, you know, hitting the town, kicking up your heels, painting the town red, shouting from the rooftops. No, love is staying in bed and not worrying about it and having the best time ever. I think that's the beauty of, of um of a friendship and a marriage and a, or a partnership, whatever it may be. It's just like, you can be doing nothing and merely coexisting and just being like, I'm having the best time. And I think I said that to Greg in my wedding speech. It's like such a dumb thing to say, but I was like, I just, sometimes I sit there and I look at you and we're like literally doing nothing. I'm like, wow, this is so much fun. Like I'm having a great time. <laughs> and uh, I just think when the focus isn't on uh, any sort of activity, relying on any sort of substance, any sort of, um, you know, you know, some people you're more comfortable hanging out with you're in groups. Like it's just the two of you very purely your own existence is enough. And that is just the most magical thing in the world. I also love how it celebrates um, the things you kind of care about at each phase. So in the childhood one, it's like, um, you know, you lost something and someone gives you one. They like do you a favor, like means a lot to you. You play video games, you know, passing a note, sleeping intense, like, 
these are the things that are fun. Somebody saying want to hang out, like, yeah, sounds like fun. Like that's so exciting. The, the nexus of a friendship when somebody makes you feel like you belong and beyond that, when you do the fun activities that are so indicative of like going over to a friend's house. And um, then, you know, when you're a little older, when you're a teenager and you just like want to do things like, like talk in like beautiful spaces, you know what I mean? Like light pink sky up on the roof. Like I love the highlighting of no curfew because that is like something you prioritize as a teenager. That is such freedom. Um, you play 20 questions. We tell the truth. Like you kind of start to confess and trust in people more. And I think teenage friendships can be so incredibly deep. And it's so at the time you just don't even realize how fleeting they can be at times. And um, this, when you start to feel stressed, that's when life starts to get complicated. That's when it's not just about video games and sidewalk chalk. And um, something gave you the nerve to touch my hand. I love this. It's so incredibly vague. It could be so romantic. It could be uh, girl, girl, guy, 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 girl, girl, guy. I don't know um, why, why, why somebody touched their hand. And whether it's romantic or platonic, I think it's just representative of an, a, a vague intimacy that can skew either way in the blurring of that line and how um, when life starts to get complicated and you start to get stressed, you do need that sort of affection and reassurance from a friend that once was just sort of company and, com and a companion. And now we're starting to bridge between the childhood and adulthood types of friendship where you kind of need a little bit of both in somebody. And when we get to church bells ring, carry me home, rice on the ground looks like snow. Um, you know, I've often talked about how uh, I, 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 it, this, the, it beautifully highlights the adult portion, um, something I both celebrate and lament about adulthood in terms of your partner or spouse becoming a best friend and not with myself, but I think when, when, before I was married and, um, when my friends would get married and their spouse was like their best friend, I mean, they should be your best friend, but I feel like I lamented it at times because I felt like I would lose my friends when they'd get married or when their boyfriends would like tag along to like a wine, a wine Wednesday. And I'm like, Oh, hi, Trevor. Nice to see you. It's like, you kind of selfishly miss the version of your friend that prioritized you. However, like my spouse is my best friend and marriage is like having a built in BFF that like can't cancel on you and has to invite you to stuff. And that is, that is pure, pure bliss. And, um, I, I get it. I both get it. And I resent it at times because I, I miss the friendships I had that were so untethered to, um, another life or our own families or our own partners, or when my friends have kids, even sometimes I'll detach a little and because I, and, and I feel terrible about it, but I think it's a, because like, I'm anxious about that phase of my life and B I, at times I'm like, I know it's, everything's going to be different. And I, a part of me is a little sad, even though it's the, it's a nothing to do with me. And I'm just being honest, even though it's so selfish, I'm happy for their life phase, but it doesn't, everything changes when people get married and have kids and it's tough. But I think this song beautifully captures how, even though, I don't know, sometimes th that aspect of friendship can be discouraging in life. The beautiful thing is when you find the, um, that sort of friendship in a romantic partner. And again, I, I know a lot of, I, I don't want to take away from this being so such a meaningful thing, especially in an LGBTQ relationship um, in terms of having to call somebody a friend and then uh, getting to marry them. I, I feel like that's like a whole deep thing to have been like, oh God, that's like torture to be like, yeah, we're just friends and never be able to really um, come forward with that is I, I love that interpretation too. And um, I love, I think like that makes the marriage part even more emotional being like, wow, finally, um, you know, my, my friend is my lover and I can actually come out and say it. And uh, I don't know. I just think there's a lot of different ways you can look at this. I think it's more 
Then what meets the eye, I think it's open-ended by design. And I think whatever it means to you and the friendships you've had throughout life, I think it so beautifully captures individual details that are pretty universal that we've all been a part of. And I think she's just a brilliant poet and um, I love it so much, but I'll close out with nice to have a friend by playing you the instrumental interlude. Cause I love it so much. I think it really beautifully captures a, uh, a change in, in literally change in tune and tone. Um, it's a little eerie and uncertain and sentimental in, in the, by the way it sounds. And it still it has all of that except the um, trumpet kind of to me indicates this, the, the, the um, evaporating of a tentativeness that is marked with the earlier parts of the song. It's not timid anymore. It's, it's outright. It's, it's, it's there. It's loud. It's present. And I just, I I feel like up until this point, the song felt like it was being careful and um, it's almost like now it's this like celebration culmination and, you know, friendship can feel so like it's it's so beautiful and sentimental but also there's aspects of it that make you nervous aspects of it not wanting to go away it's it's like you're so insecure your whole life and you just want to be it's just nice to have a friend like it's just nice and then like to ultimately get to have one like built in required by law contractually bound i mean what a dream i'm just kidding kind of but i honestly do take a lot of i I find a lot of solace in how difficult it would be to leave me and i think that's a beautiful thing (laughs) Um, anyways, okay. Church bells ring, carry me home. I think I've said this before. So I know about church bells. Um, where I got married, um, it's a, like a small town in um, Italy called Verena, and um near where I studied abroad, actually, because, again, that life experience is so meaningful to me. And um, when there's a wedding, when the bride is walking up to the church, the church bells ring. This is a small town. It is loud. And um, so right at 3 o'clock, the church bells ring. I leave our the place we're staying with my dad and sister, and um, I forgot my veil. I have to turn around, go, well, I mean, somebody goes up and gets it for me. We have to put it in, da 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 and so like these bells are just like ringing and like the bride is like nowhere to be seen. And, you know, it just like sucks when you're be there in five and like you're actually late and like you don't mean to be. It's like oh, 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 on brand. And like I know my live show starts at 8.05 and like I'll, I'll, I'll lean into it sometimes. But like I had every intention to be on time for my wedding. <laughs> and it's just very awkward. Like when the entire town's like, oh, the bells, the bride. Oh, oh, she's not coming. Good times. Okay, so Daylight. Daylight was supposed to be the title of the album. And after she wrote Lover, she changed it, right? What's cool about this song is she wrote it. She also co-produced it with Jackie Antonoff. And I feel like I don't usually see her get producer credits, but I'd argue the production on this um, song is particularly outstanding. It's not my favorite song. I find it a little on the nose. Like I get what, you know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's it, not every song needs to be like complicated and layered or whatever. Um, but I think that like, I get exactly what she's saying. And it's it's an important message of like, We've both got all of our stuff, our baggage, our skeletons. We've lived in different cities. We've been around different people. We've made mistakes. People, we've wronged people. People have wronged us. I, I, but, you know, it's brighter now. It's morning now. All of that darkness was necessary to uh, only ultimately be extinguished by what is now daylight and daylight going forward in terms of being in the right place in the right relationship and having the right experiences to see you out the other side. 
I particularly like um, this part, and I can tell she does too. If you watch her play it on her Sirius XM special, um, I don't know. She just seems like very um, happy, and I think this was like, a, not. I don't know if this is technically considered the bridge because I think the one that's like all of you, all of me, you know, the, the later part in the song. Um, but anyways, I just think that I really like how this sounds and I like the message. Maybe you ran with the wolves and refused to settle down. Maybe I've stormed out of every single room in this town. Threw out our cokes and our daggers because it's morning now. It's brighter now. Now I don't want to look at anything else now that I saw you. I can never look away. I don't want to think of anything else now that I I think like. I don't know. I think this song's important to her. And I think like it really represents something deeper about having been in a dark place for so long. And it's such a beautiful contrast to reputation. Um, It kind of does make a ton of sense for the album title, just given the darkness of reputation. And, um, and you can tell the aesthetic of lover was completely, is completely centered on daylight being the title. (laughs) Um, And then they just thought it worked for lover. Don't you think? Um, But I, 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 I bridge or whatever that set of verses is. I really like uh, just because it kind of explains like maybe we've done all these things that we're embarrassed of or that aren't wasn't showing us in the best light, if you will. Um, but it doesn't matter. It's morning now throughout our cloaks and our daggers, which I kind of like. Are you a member of the Volturi? Wow. Second Twilight reference in one episode. <laughs> it's more than usual. Um, uh, but I think also like, as I talked about earlier or uh, in the last episode, we, when I read like the journal entries about Joe and her fear and her being in London and wanting to hide out and all these things, it's kind of like um, when I'm told nothing, I'm, I'll run wild with interpretation. But then there's these moments of sincerity that I feel like I read as things that she's saying pretty straightforwardly and like I things I don't want to take from her by saying speculating otherwise. And this song is one of them. Um, the way she wraps up the album, um, the way, you know, I feel like in tr- the B side, the this back nine the, between um, False God and Death by a Thousand Cuts and Afterglow, I'm kind of like, you know, there wasn't really a, a, a love song. Like, it, it, like there were different types of love, but it wasn't, you know, this kind of like glorious, um, beautiful, golden, incandescent place she's in now. And it's almost helpful that she wrapped up the album with this because I think a lot of the songs like she probably wrote recently, she probably wrote a long time ago. I think they're about different relationships over time. Um, Some we know about some we don't, but she wanted to wrap it up with like, here's where I am like right now. And um, I don't know. I mean, she, it just, she just sounds so happy, you know? Uh, And I think, okay, it's funny because as I'm talking about the song and listening to it, I actually like it a lot. I do. I always liked it. I just don't listen to it a ton. I'm not always in the mood for it. It it sounds like um, it kind of sounds like the same vibe as the Archer, that really breathy, almost reverberated, like it, it, ethereal style. I like when it picks up in verse two. A lot of these songs start out kind of sad and slow and pick up in verse two. And maybe that's just like a normal song structure. And I'm just completely missing that. But um, I think when I got to the part of and I can still see it all in my mind, all of you, all of me intertwined. Um. All of you, no, no, that's never no, remember. <laughs> it's reverse. All of me loves all of you. Not uh, that would be like an awesome confidence ballad. All of you loves all of me. And um, that's kind of what she's saying. Like he's so obsessed with me, and boy, I understand. Um, that's another thing that I. Uh, where did I? 
what? I saw someone talking about somewhere that I thought was really poignant. The way she goes back and forth in um, her, the, the way she, there's like several examples of songs where she draws parallels between both of the people in the relationship. Like, um, where was it? I think, I, again, I probably saw this on Reddit. Um, like, okay, so it's like, you'll save all your dirtiest jokes for me. And then she says, at every table, I'll save you a seat. You know, I had a long night. I know you had a long night. I'm an architect. I'm drawing up the plans. It's like, I'm 17. Nobody understands. He, he's so obsessed with me and boy, I understand. Um, I waited my whole life. You waited your whole life. I love a London boy. He likes my American smile. I can't talk to you when you're like this. You can't talk to me when I'm like this. I'm New York City. You're the West Village. I still do it for you, babe. You still do it for me, babe. I'm the only one of me, baby, that's a fun of me. You're the only one of you, baby, that's a fun of you. Maybe you've ran the wolves and refused to settle down. Maybe I've stormed every out of every single room in this town. Like I kind of am interested to look at her other albums and see if um, there's that sort of parallel where she's singing about both of the people as much and doing like a me, you um, call response back and forth thing. I thought it was interesting. People are so astute. I'm much better than me. Wish I like knew who these people were, but like in an inherently anonymous <laughs> message board, it's tricky. Um, but anyway, I think, uh, yeah, this, this song is beautiful. I think that it represents where she is in her life right now. I'm so happy she's seen the daylight. I can't imagine how difficult the past few years were. Um, I pray that she remains in daylight as it relates to her mother's health and her friendships and her career and out of the scooter and Scott thing. And like, I cannot wait to see this documentary. Like guys, can you even imagine? I feel like we're going to get to see her walk into the daylight and it's going to be so beautiful. And I hope that's what it's called. I just realized I never finished the verse. Okay. I can still see it all in my mind. All of you, all of me intertwined. I once believed love would be black and white, but it's golden, golden. And I can still see it all in my head back and forth from New York, sneaking in your bed. I once believed love would be burning red, but it's golden like daylight. So beautiful. And obviously we know this is a nod to red. We're in the prologue. She said that she hopes to someday find a love that's golden. And if she does, maybe she'll write about it. And she wrote an entire album about it. And, um, I think that's really, really incredible. And uh, back and forth from New York, sneaking in your bed is cute too. Uh, it would be hard to have an international long distance relationship. My God. So guys, I don't know. Some of these things make me change my tune. Sometimes I'm like, we know nothing. And sometimes I'm like, she's telling us everything. And it's inconclusive. And I'm happy she's happy. I agree you are what you love. I, I want to be defined not by the things that, uh, you know, I hate or the things that haunt me at night or the things I'm afraid of. I personally want to be defined by the places that I lurk. She wants to be defined by the places that she loves. You know, potato, potato. I, uh, I just think that I'm happy she's happy and I hope it's sustainable. I hope that we get to see so much of this joy in the documentary. We've, we've you know, spent a long time with her in more of the trying moments of her life. And I, you know, on the one hand, the concept of, of joy being more infused into her life might be a direct you know, product of, uh, withholding a little bit more, but at the same time, I think we would all really love to see it. And, uh, I'm hopeful for the future. I'm looking forward to Loverfest. I'm looking forward to all the things. I think that this is a magical era. I think this album is an absolute masterpiece. I think that I could probably do a follow-up Q2, Q3, Q4 of Lover since I waited Q1 for this one, three months. Uh, and I'll probably feel differently about the whole thing, or maybe I'll feel the same. I don't really know. I just think that, um, we're lucky to have an artist that we, you know, Hey, you'll listen to four hours of content about me just like rambling about songs when I have no facts and B the fact that these are so layered and beautifully written and written by her 
it's like, I think, you know, I know these podcasts are long and you're probably like, Jesus, get to the point. Like, do we need to spend, you know, 50 minutes on false God? But I also think like if I, you know, I'm a writer and like I, I pour myself into like everything I do and I hope she understands how much we appreciate the effort and the thought and care and detail and um, just pure like talent that goes into these and how just like any great novel uh, will analyze them, the symbolism, the literary devices, I'll, I'll write a vocal term paper um, like any great art or artist should be honored and whose legacy should be not their reputation, but rather their you know, immense talent and inarguable artistic contribution that brought uh, joy and depth and feeling and uh, serves as a soundtrack to memories that elevated so many people's lives. And that's why we love her. And anyway, I got to wrap up. Um, go to patreon.com slash be there in five if you want to support the podcast. I do bonus episodes when I can. I am working on a Gilmore Girls deep dive. <laughs> but again, I have issues. I'm a perfectionist. And when I say that, it's not that I need it to be perfect. It's just that like, I'm so annoyed by myself. I re-record things 12 times and it takes days, if not months. Um, and uh, anyway, I uh, support Helix, um, helixsleep.com slash be there in five or use code be there in five. Same with FabFitFun, use code be there in five. The sponsors are awesome to support these episodes and leave five stars. If you can rate and review, please don't leave a scathing review. If you don't agree with one of my analyses, I love you. I'm trying my best. <laughs> Those really get me down. And uh, I'm still waiting for my daylight, hoping any day now. The problem is I'm so melancholic. I think like the best I could ask for is like maybe a nightlight. My husband's definitely my nightlight. This podcast is my nightlight. Um, you know, and I don't want to, I feel like that sounds too much like that pitch perfect song flashlight, which I think they wanted to be like Miley Cyrus's The Climb, but didn't really land. Uh, my album would be called Nightlight. It's, it's a really great metaphor for still feeling like a child, having so many issues of a youngest child of being like a little bit scared all the time, but also really relishing and loving the night, doing my best work at night, podcasting at 2 a.m., eating chips in bed, how cozy I find nighttime to be, how relaxed I am, how how I don't feel like every late riser should be so, uh, you know, mocked at, because we don't fit in with the society that thrives in the regular nine to five cycle. Some of us self-employed people, we don't need to be on the, that cycle. And as of late, I've just kind of embraced it as these are my hours. This is my prime time. If I want creative output, I got to work when I feel the most creative. And unfortunately, you know, I come to life when the world goes to sleep and it is what it is. And maybe I am a vampire, third Twilight reference. Um, but also I think that something about, for some of us, you know, when you're, I like to think of it as when your brain is preparing to dream, you are a little bit tired, but you're also in a vulnerable place that the nighttime brings you that almost brings these um, thoughts that are incapable of revealing themselves in the daylight uh, because they, there's too much noise happening. But when we're winding down, when we're preparing to dream, when we're uh, able to finally relax is when I get the clarity to do great work. And it's just, it's a frustrating thing um, that I've like, it's hurt me with this podcast because I'll like kind of wait to do it till really late and like get into everything. But then it like, you know, it, then it's like four or five hours to like actually get the audio exported and fix it and master it and get it uploaded. And that is why I am horribly inconsistent with the time it's uploaded because I don't work with the company. I do it myself. And I just, you know, instead of, I, I never want to do something that you guys don't like. So I kind of try to wait till the right time when I feel like I can articulate it well. So I hope you'll forgive me for the inconsistency. Um, I, w I really wanted to get this up uh, sooner so you could have it for Thanksgiving. But ugh, by the time it's done, I'm worried it'll be... <laughs> late on Wednesday, but 
I hope you understand. Anyway, I love you. I'm gonna let you go. Have the happiest Thanksgiving. I am so thankful for you. Remember, you know, the fun table is the one you're sitting at. Whoever you're sitting with, wherever, whoever your relatives are, whether you get along or not, I think that every human has valuable experience and interesting stories to share. And nothing is boring. Only boring people get bored. Everything is interesting. Find what's interesting. Ask people all the questions. And I think like there comes a time when we can't ask people these questions anymore about their lives. And sometimes our relatives that we just know by default and we don't think to ask basic questions, we might ask a stranger. But I challenge everybody this Thanksgiving to uh, lightly interrogate a, a person, a loved one in your life that you know so well that perhaps you aren't even asking the most simple of questions that would allow you to get to know them on a deeper level. I think that's a beautiful thing. Human connection is really all we have. And I love holidays that celebrate togetherness in that sense. And in the event it's too complicated and nobody else wants to talk, which does often happen to me, play games. Can't go wrong with heads up. Finish the lyric deck is what dreams are made of. All right, guys, have a great week. I will talk to you soon. My live show is next week. I'm going fi- to, I do not know if I'll wait to put out some of the recording or if I'll have a separate show next week. It's going to be a little bit crazy. I am recording with a bunch of people in New York on Sunday and Monday. So rest assured, you'll have episodes coming right down the pipeline and uh, we'll pick up where we left off. All right. As always, let me know your thoughts and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. 